Hey, strangers, welcome to another episode of The Strange Sessions. As always, I'm Krista. With me is Kurt, and we have our stranger favorite guest host with us today, Corey. Hey, Corey. Hi. Welcome to the <laughs> podcast, Corey. Hey, thanks. <laughs> Corey didn't want to do the lead in. We were going to no. have Corey no. do the intro, and Corey shot that down. We should be polite I'm not to ready our guests. for that privilege yet. Maybe when you co host 10 episodes, then there you, get, then like you can get that. This is number five, right? This is, I think this is Corey's fifth. He was here for the Christmas one. He did Mel's Hole. He did. Um, Which still makes me giggle. I can't help <laughs> he it. Did ben McDonald the diver yep. when it still creeps me yeah, out to this day one. with the having to take your tank off and Ugh. go through like the little yep. tiny <laughs> big nope for me. <laughs> That's a definite nope for me. Mm. So you, and uh, you were here for the armchair treasure hunt one. You were here for mm. that one. You did. You were here for maybe this is my fifth. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is your fifth. Number five. Hey, quick, quick reminder. If you're just well, it's not a reminder if you're just tuning in. But if you don't want to hear us do the taste test and housekeeping and welcome new Facebook uh, strangers, then stop. Check your show notes. Fast forward to when the actual topic starts. Also, if you don't want to listen to that or the rest of the episode, you can skip the episode. <laughs> Just fast forward all the fast way. Fast forward the end. all the way through. I think we still get a, a listen. But <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It still it's funny because when I listen right? to other podcasts, are always like, make sure to like and subscribe. Make sure to give us good reviews. And We've, you and I just like never, never do said that. that. It's like, leave us good oh, yeah. reviews if you guys want. And we have a coffee website where you can support us, but we never talk about it. And that's another that. thing. It's like, especially in this economy situation that is a dumpster fire, mm -hmm. the fact that people are giving us money. is crazy. So just thank you guys so much. And we just recently got a couple new subscribers We did, coffee, and so. we're thinking about something cool we can do with the money. We're looking at... We keep teasing. We keep teasing, we but we're talking about possibly next summer, mm -hmm. maybe doing a... We'll just say maybe doing a show from a another location yeah, yeah, yeah so we'll see but exciting give it to the co-host that's give it to the most five, the co-host <laughs> co get the money yeah, we'll make you drive to that location yeah that's your <laughs> that's your job <laughs> you get to do, drive us <laughs> um do we have Jim any would totally drive us by the way um <clears throat> i don't think so nothing nothing earth shattering has our, happened i'm actually on our side sessions notes i'm not on this episode's Ooh. notes I'm excited about today's side fun, session, too, actually. That'd be a fun Mandela effect joke. It would be. Like, a, do a whole episode. Oh, Sophie <laughs> texted me on the way down here, and she wants me to use this joke that she saw on Reddit. She oh, said, okay. I need to work this into the episode. It's got to be better than any pickle joke we have. <laughs> it's got to be. She wanted me to use the joke. Two conspiracy theorists walk into a bar. There's no way that's a coincidence. So uh, that's, that's a joke. <laughs> Uh, do we have any housekeeping? Just thank you guys so. for the coffee subscribers. Like, yeah, I'm scraping change together from my couch cushions to get a McDouble from McDonald's, and you guys are giving us money. So I thank know. you so much. And we used it. We did use it for the post office box, so we got another six months on the post office box, which is good because we have another package. We, so yeah, we don't should know we just should strong. we open those first? We could. Yeah, we don't know that they're taste test items. Do you want to do strangers? Oh, do we have any? <laughs> Anthony Edwards. Oh, okay. So because you are the only one, Anthony. Anthony Edwards, the guy from ER? Anthony. Oh, so Maverick or Goose? He was Goose, wasn't Goose. he? Goose, yeah, he was Goose. Yeah. He, he right. dies, by the way. Anthony Edwards, isn't as... He was, yeah, was he in ER? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. The one that was Goose? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. I never Jeez, watched Kurt. ER. Oh, it was a good is show. That his, is that his name? Yeah, that's his name. I think that's his name. One yeah. of my all-time big crushes, and I'm working on rating my crushes because somebody Anthony wanted... Edwards made you think of your crush. no, because my one of my uh, one of my one, one of my all-time big crushes was on ER for a little while. Who? Uh, Tell me. Uh, she's mostly known for being a River Song on Doctor Who. 
we talked, I talked about her with you. She's, uh, uh, she's a, a British actress. Blonde or brown hair? I think reddish. Oh, was she the one that had the limp? She was carrying the cane. I can't. I can't be in the ER. In uh, Laura Ennis or whatever. No, not Laura Ennis. She was River Song. She like was River Song. Though. River Song <laughs> and Doctor Who was like one of the coolest characters like ever in a like show. Her name was River Song. River Song was her name. It is. Oh my god! I can't believe I can draw on a blank on her name. Alex Kingston. Oh, curly hair. Yeah. She was like, oh, she had an Australian yes. kind of accent. Okay, yeah. I know who you're talking about now. Her. Okay. Yep. Yeah. She is, she is. We did in, talk about yes, her. Yes, she is in my top three crushes. Wow. Another crush that she looks like that I realized that I might have a type. There's another one that I've had a crush <laughs> you on. You have a type. Like. I've had a crush on for years. <laughs> and I never realized they kind of look similar is Ginger Z. That's, she's a. She's a weather. She's reporter. the weather girl on Good Morning America. Hmm. But she she looks just kind of like like Alex Kin- Kingston. Uh, Maybe it's the curly hair. Does she have curly hair? Because Kelly Russell some, has curly sometimes hair. she sometimes she does sometimes she doesn't. And we know you like Kelly Russell. Carrie Russell. Carrie Russell. <laughs> Names whatever. This is Ginger Z. So she kind of looks mm. similar. Like I think so. A little bit. I don't know. Somebody wrote in asking to rate my crushes, so now I've been thinking about that all the time to Jeez, rate my crushes. Be so a side that might have to be. This should be a side session. Yeah, no kidding. That probably will be a side session. I have by to itself. retract one of my crushes that I talked about on the show because apparently he's really messed up. Is that Arnie? Yes, Arnie oh, Hammer. Yeah, I've been hearing lots. Wow. Of, lots of cannibal. Apparently, he works at a hotel now because yeah. he's been disowned by everyone, and yeah, he's into cannibalism and abusing women. So. Krista's going to pull that crush <laughs> back. She's going to reel that one back in. Okay, um, should I open? Anthony, thank you so much for joining. Yeah, oh, Anthony, we got another sorry. one. <laughs> we went off on quite a tangent. <laughs> yeah, that was the only one we had. So thank wah, you so much, wah. Anthony. You get a yeah. special you get special love because you're the only one that joined the strangers. So yep. thank you so much. Even if you were on ER, I don't know. <laughs> goose. And Goose. I, mean, I don't remember the new, Goose. The new Top Gun I saw is to- popular. I saw, I saw Top Gun when it came out in a theater, but I just don't. I think that's the only time I've seen it. Well, you fast forwarded it to the beach volleyball section, then paused it, and <laughs> stopped it after the beach volleyball section. I did because I feel the need, need for speed. I haven't I, seen that movie in so long. I heard the sequel is it's really good. Amazing. I've heard. I I read, have you seen it? No. Oh, okay. I read the plot on Wikipedia because I didn't want to be bothered to watch the movie, but I read the plot and it's actually it's actually really good. Right up there with your pre-ground beef and pre-cooked bacon and. Yeah. Did I ever tell you about pre-ground? What? I, uh, years, uh, Corey, and, Corey and his wife give me so much crap for this. It was hanging on the shelf in an aisle at Walmart. It was pre-browned ground beef in a bag. Yep. Like in a, uh, like a bag. And it was ground beef that was pre-browned and you could just throw it in a recipe. So of course I bought it because it's easy. And, and was then. Was it dry and gross though? No. But it was then I, easy, you know, because browning ground beef is difficult. <laughs> Put in pan. But I bought stir the stuff. Around. I think I made sloppy joes with it or something. But it was yeah. just it was shelf stable, hanging in the aisle, pre browned well, ground beef. That's what creeps me out the most is yep. that it's not even refrigerated. And I went the next. I went back like the next weekend to get more, and it was gone, and I couldn't find it. And I see I, there's like no trace of this ever existing. Were there this product about like I don't know. salmonella? Was it, was it like some government test? Were they testing <laughs> right. something on me? Whenever you, know? you had a recipe that you needed to use onions, do you buy an onion and cut it, or do you buy yes. pre cut onions? No, I I buy it and cut it. It's yeah. so much cheaper Kurt, that way. If you I had buy, a recipe, I buy pre the pre cut ones yes. from the. Mm. He will spend three times as so much stinky. to buy a pre cut 
onions versus just buying wow. a the man who's scrounging onion. around I, in his uh, couch for change. I ain't got time to, to chop onions. I'm a, busy, onions. I'm a busy man. I'm yeah. a busy man. They do make I got me podcast cry. research to do. It's true. It's it's like he's two sacrificing bucks, onions. Yeah, versus like forty nine cents for an <laughs> onion. If there's an easy way out, like when I make my my pea soup, my split pea soup, which is actually really good in my crock pot, it's all. We have a frog who's like putting his little hands up on the window and like looking Trying to in, get in. Here. Oh, I see it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> look at him. He's like got one little hand up on the window. Awesome. I always think they're trapped in there, but they actually dig holes and oh, like burrow out. their way out. Yeah, I rescued one and then I realized that was actually his home. Sorry. It's <laughs> cute. He's cute. He's Let's like open our totally packages. like, hey. Okay. Let's open our, we got, we have one from Coleman and then we have one. Yeah, because we've been sitting at. We've been sitting on that. I think it... Corey, do you want to open it to see if it's a taste test item? Oh, uh, who's got the... with a package. Is that the Ritual Dagger? Oh, Ceremonial Dagger. I said Ritual Dagger. It's not really the way I planned on it, but it worked. Oh, there's a bunch of stuff, it looks like. All right. Oh, I do see taste test stuff. Potentially, right? Unless he sent you cleaning supplies. Oh, Cleaning nope, there's definitely taste test items in here. I would say they're all okay. We'll hold off on those till next time. Yeah, we are set on taste test items. Yeah. I think so. Wow. We're gonna hold off on on Coleman's taste test stuff till next time. Well, one thing I did see, I've had those before. I think everybody has had those before. Did you like them? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Are we opening this now? Yep. I have no idea what that is or who that's from. Me neither. It just says fragile. Hopefully it's not a head. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Speaking of actors you've soured on, Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Ooh, I know. I never had a crush on him though. I know. Yeah, he was great in Usual Suspects. So. Yeah. Kaiser Soze. Kaiser Soze. Seven? I think so. That looks like decorations. Oh, it could be oh, mugs. Yeah. Uh, it is a mug. It's the coffee makes me poop mug. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, it's from Brad. It's from Brad. Oh. It's Brad's killing, missing, hidden podcast mugs. Oh, these nice. are nice. These are. Where these are did s- get these made? <laughs> yeah. Can you? These are really nice. Make some for us. Yeah, these are wow. super nice. They're like heavy duty, and this can go in the dishwasher. Yes. Yeah, it's so nice. Those are going to your guest host. <laughs> Those are going right to our guest host. <laughs> these are gr- Brad. Brad. Thank you so much. You're getting a hug from us when we ever meet you in person. Yes, it's going to be really forceful. When are When is that um, Bad Things of Summer I coming think he's, out? he wanted everybody to submit by July 15th. Oh, okay. So, so well, this is awesome. Brad, and thank you so much. I'm slightly jealous of the quality of these <laughs> thank mugs. Thank you so much. Like, seriously, I'm going to be messaging you to find out where you get these made. Cause Thank you, Brad. Thanks, Brad. Sorry, Corey. It's all right, I guess. <laughs> <clears throat> By the way, do you want that red mug? I know yours got destroyed. You can just have that one. No, that's right. Are you sure? Yeah, you can give it to your next guest host. You I sure? mean, we have boxes of mugs. Oh, okay, maybe I'll, maybe I'll take one. <laughs> so you it doesn't even have to be the red one. You can have the white one, too. Should you I jump into the taste test? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. We're, we're getting late on time, aren't we? It's 17 minutes, but okay. we had a lot of mumbling well, and stumbling. this one. Yeah. We'll start with this one, because the next one's going to take some time to get to the to get through, because you know what the next taste test is, yes. the one from Stephanie. Yep. That'll be a whole episode kind of taste This one test, I'm kind right? of excited about. It is... 
from Josh and Whitney, the Carpenters. It is not the singing duo. Organic watermelon jerky. Ooh. Wait a second. <laughs> can you jerk? Can you jerk is, watermelon? So isn't it like just dried watermelon? Is it dried fruit or is it watermelon like infused jerky? Oh, that's a good question. Like it says organic things. watermelon, so I think it's just going to be dried fruit. Yeah. Okay. The jerky but, but threw me off chewy, a little bit. It, yeah, yeah, or it's like chewy like jerky. I want to take a picture of the bag. No, oh, that's, that's encouraging. A weird face. <laughs> Kurt's smelling it and making this poo poo face. It looks like jerky. Looks the like s- chips. The seeds are still in it. Ooh. Take take a whiff. Take a pull of that. <laughs> uh, great. Face too. The anticipation's really yeah, building. I expected more of a watermelon smell. Yeah. Not like, whatever like smell it was. Overpowering watermelon. Yeah. It wasn't. Watermelon's pretty fragrant. That's probably okay. Let me take a picture of the bag. Doesn't smell like anything. It smells like. I mean, it, looks it smells like, like like particle board. Yeah, it smells like wood. It looks good. I get the slightest hint of watermelon, but I smell wood. Interesting. <laughs> I don't know why everything's funny to me today. Okay, let me take a picture of this. <laughs> it kind of. It kind of looks like meat a little bit. I can, you know. <laughs> it looks like ham. It looks like a dried piece of ham. Oh, yeah, the like, seeds are like stuck in here. Yeah, but I suppose if watermelon's like what ninety percent water, water, it would suck down. The water. Yeah, like that's true. Dehydrated. You ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Mm. Oh. It tastes like dried fruit. Mmm. That's good. actually pretty good. It mm. is good. Mm-hmm. It's kind of chewy. Mm. It's not as sweet. Oh, as I it thought really it would be. tastes like watermelon when you kind of get it softened up. Wow. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give mm. that a. I'm gonna give that an eight. It's it it much could be a little bit I better, thought. but it's I'm gonna give it an eight. Better than I thought, though. I give it a nine. I give it a ten, but it's kind of sticking to my teeth a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm it's gonna give though. it an eight too. It's it exceeds my expectations based on looks and smell. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I like. Yeah. Wants to take this home. Yeah, that's good. Great, hey, we'll take it home. Mm, that's good. I could use healthy snacks. Nom nom. Mm. Okay. Next one from our beloved listener Stephanie in Arizona, who I've mm-hmm. been talking to a lot lately. She's awesome. And you can you'll see how this is tied into probably living in Arizona. Yeah. So a little nervous about this one. Oh, I got. To she said she will not be offended if we don't finish it. Challenge accepted. Maybe. There are three of them. I'm so curious as to what this is. Oh, suckers. Oh, what, what's in the center? It uh, looks like a scorpion. Yes. <laughs> Suckers with a scorpion in the center. Uh-huh. Was this like what, green apple, blue raspberry, and watermelon? I'm guessing. Oh, strawberry, blueberry, and apple. I have no preference. I'll, whichever one. I have a preference. I don't want blueberry. I want blueberry. Oh, perfect. I love blueberry. blueberry. I'll so take apple. Strawberry for me. Um, Kurt, do you want to take a picture of your mug? I just want to make sure and text it to me. I just want to make sure we can post that. Okay, just, I'm gonna I, take a picture of this. I don't Ooh, know. I don't know if I can eat that scorpion. I don't think I can eat that scorpion. I don't know if I can either. That's yeah, no problem. <laughs> Seriously, Corey would so, not. Have a problem. Are you think you're gonna be able to syrup? eat that? Sure. Malatol syrup and scorpion are the first two <laughs> ingredients, <laughs> and then natural and artificial flavorings and red dye number forty. So scorpion is the second ingredient. Oh yeah, that's no problem. I could. I. He I told ate her the bugs with no problem. He ate the dunder I, salt. I told her no I'll eat the sucker until my tongue touches the scorpion. Once my tongue touches the scorpion, I think I'm going to be done with it. It's hard to get my camera to like focus in on the scorpion because the camera doesn't want to even look at it. Right? Well, it's good for me. I got the scorpion. I don't know what that would be. Antennae, leg, 
It's way at the very top, so I should get to it pretty quickly. The, the only thing that's going to suck, though, out. is trying to talk during your episode. Talk. Oh, while you're trying to. While you're doing that. Yeah. Well, we've. Didn't you do that for something? Oh, you Me, had that. Pop. I had the, the five spice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Perfect. Oh, I just don't think I can eat this freaking thing. <laughs> <laughs> it is kind of daunting to think about eating a scorpion, but we'll see. Okay, let's. I'm going to open this. What else do we have going on? We open gifts. This is our taste test. So now we're moving on to our topic after we get these damn things open. <laughs> From the top, maybe? Did you start at the bottom? Top. Top, okay. I have a good <laughs> strawberry flavor. It starts out good. Mm -hmm. I quite literally can't get mine open. Corey's definitely going to reach the scary part before we do. Ugh. Is it harshing your mellow? <laughs> it is definitely harshing my mellow. It's not even spicy. I, mean, I haven't even opened mine yet. Well, good luck. It took me a while. The sucker bit. part is really good. Mm -hmm. It tastes like a Jolly Rancher. <laughs> it's the universe telling you not to eat it. This thing is wrapped like they're worried the scorpion's going to escape. Wrapper one, Kirk zero. Maybe they know something we don't know. <laughs> Oh, that is really good. Mm -hmm. That's like a really good sucker. That's how they get you. The sucker's so good, you forget there's, <laughs> you forget a, scorpion there's a scorpion in the middle. In the middle of it. Okay, we're going to work on these. Wow, yours, his is like really well defined. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mine's not quite that defined. Your scorpion? I mean, not really. Oh, I'm not going to eat that thing. I'm going to touch it with my tongue. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> and that's going to be it. Look at that thing. You can see like it's abdomen. You can see, uh, nope. But yeah, the sucker is good. It is a little gross. She said she wouldn't be offended if we didn't eat it. Okay. But I'm gonna. I probably won't even get that far. Yeah, working on it, I'll, I'll get to the head and the. I, I figure front. once once I start talking on my. Have to update this when he gets home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you should be able. I don't think this is the kind of sucker you want to bite into either. I feel like it's no. going to remove a tooth with it. <laughs> All right, should we get to the topic? Our topic today is uh, my favorite mini mystery where two of us pick a story to do. Krista, we gave her the day off. She I always have the day off. She didn't have to do one. <laughs> so Corey and I each chose a topic. And like I said in our teaser, they both involve vills, which a I thought vil? was cool. A vill. Vil. Like a vill. Like a... Johnsonville? Johnsonville. Okay, gotcha. Like both of our stories involve a vill. So, Corey, you want to go first? Sure. I'll give you a printout of what these look like. Okay. This is this was, I remember seeing this on Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. And this was one of my favorite stories I've seen on Unsolved Mysteries. And I used to like look for this episode because I love this story. So, it was on Unsolved Mysteries, I believe, twice. Um, I know it was season seven, episode six for one of them. It was on 48 Hours, uh, season 34, episode 34, and then I listened to a couple podcasts from Crime Junkie and True Crime Garage, and a lot of this, especially the like chronological order part, goes to Reddit user BizBuzz, BizBuzz. <laughs> thanks, Biz. Yep, thanks, Biz. Shout out. Um, so these are the, called the Circleville Letters. Does okay. it ring a bell? No. No? Mm -mm. Does it okay. me. I love this. I do. All right. 
On March 3rd, 1977, a letter arrived at Westfall High School addressed to school superintendent Gordon Massey. Westfall High School is in Circleville, Ohio. Circleville at this time was home to about 11,000 residents. Wow, more than I thought. The letter was handwritten in a very distinctive block letter style. So yeah. you can see that on the printout that I have, that's basically how they all look. Uh, There's more than this? Oh, yeah. There's, <laughs> okay. We'll get to that. We'll see, get to well, that. You Corey just curted me. <laughs> he just curted you. Can, can Corey curt you? You <laughs> <laughs> <He> did. <laughs> uh, these letters accuse Gordon Massey of having an affair with a married school bus driver in Circleville. The letter reads, Dear Sir, according to my GF girlfriend, you have asked her to go out many times and have asked the other female bus drivers too. This must stop at once for the good of the school and families. If they are not stopped, I will be forced to write to the school board, and I would hate to do that. To prey on another man's girl is untouchable. I suggest you find yourself a pimple-faced whore <laughs> and start up with her and leave my girls alone, unquote. Dang. Uh, not that Massey was given much time to prove that he was a changed man. In fact, he had less than 24 hours. The day after the first little letter arrived, another one arrived at Westfield High, this time addressed to the school board. The rambling four-page document accused Massey of sexual harassment. So he basically said, I don't want to have to write to the school board, but then he wrote to the school board anyway. The yeah. next day. Obviously, the letter was <laughs> okay. probably already rewritten. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. Go on. No, that's all right. Um, where was I here? Kurt interrupted me. <laughs> so they, I'm usually the one getting that from Krista. Yeah, yeah man. Like our, one reviewer, like our one reviewer said. <laughs> the letter urged the board to get rid of Mr. Massey. But if the writer was to believe Massey, quote, picks on the weaker ones constantly, unquote, then it ends with an ominous warning, quote, I sure hope he does not upset my girl for his sake, unquote. Another, another letter arrived at the school later that day, <laughs> claiming that the writer was keeping tabs on Massey's illicit sex life daily, every detail down to the exact drivers he flirted with each day. Of course, the school board wasn't about to fire a senior official over some unproven accusations from possibly a jealous boyfriend. Eventually, the writer tried a new tactic. On March 18th, so we're about 15 days later, the school's vice principal received a letter claiming the writer would soon send evidence of the unethical affair. This time, he singled out one female bus driver as another main target of their hatred. The letters, as well as all of the Circleville letters, were postmarked from Columbus, Ohio, which is about 25 miles north of Circleville. So that's how it all starts. Yeah. Okay. I'm guessing whoever this was drove up there to send them from there so that it, I don't know. It seems like a drive, though. What is 25 miles? Maybe. Were they arriving 20? in the mail? Or? Yes. Okay. So the female target of the writer's harassment would turn out to be one of these bus drivers, and her name was Mary Gillespie. So one of the things with this is that there's a lot of names. So I'm going to do my best to like use the first and last name to kind of reiterate who these people are. Uh, near the start of the letter writer's campaign of harassment, Mary Gillespie found a handwritten letter in her mailbox accusing her of having an affair with Gordon Massey, who was a superintendent we talked about. The letter states, stay away from Massey. Quote, don't lie when questioned about knowing him. I know where you live. I've been observing your house and know you have children. That's, so That's creepy. creepy. This is no joke. Please take it serious. Everyone concerned has been notified and everything will be over soon. What does unquote. That mean? 
At this point, Mary shared a letter with her husband, Ron Gillespie. So you have Mary Gillespie and Ron Gillespie who are married. But she did deny to her husband that she was having an affair with Gordon Massey. She said, nothing's going on. I don't know why this person is saying that there is something going on. So a short time later, still in late March 1977, Ron Gillespie now received a letter. So Mary Gillespie's husband received his own personal letter. It tells him that he needed to admit that his wife was having an affair with Gordon Massey. The letter told him to inform the Westfall school board of the affair and said that if he did not, he would be killed. (laughs) Whoa. Once again, the Gillespie's kept this letter quiet. So basically they're keeping it amongst themselves, not really filling anybody in. Uh, Two weeks later, another letter was sent to the Gillespie's, this time addressed to both of them. Once again, the writer addressed Ron in the letter telling him, quote, Gillespie, you have had two weeks and have done nothing. You are a pig defender. You are also a pig. Make her admit the truth and inform the school board. If not, I will broadcast it on CB, posters, signs, billboards until the truth comes out. Only pigs ride motorcycles. Good hunting in your red and white truck on your way to work. You will see this is no joke, unquote. And this is just an abridged version. The full thing comes off as even a little more frantic and rambling. That's just so creepy to get a letter where, like, somebody's obviously watching you. And so they've confirmed that all those, like, the red and white truck, that's all accurate. Yeah, but he did drive a red and white truck, and they did have children. Wow. So as all this is heating up, and this is the latest letter to prove that the writer didn't just know their address, the lunatic had actually visited the address in person. How else would he know the kind of truck that Ron drove? Right. So it's kind of like the... What's that look for? You get into the scorpion? No, movie? no, I didn't get oh. the scorpion. I'm thinking about how creepy the, that is. Like that, the watcher. The watcher. Yeah. Like, I told, yeah. I've been thinking about that the whole time. But how creepy that is to know that somebody has been like looking in your... Yeah. yeah. We did a mini mystery on that, didn't we? The watcher? Yeah. yeah. When Corey was here. That was another mm-hmm. episode Corey was here. watching that frog. Look at him. Oh, he's trying to get in here. He, he wants to listen. Poor guy. Okay. He wants to be another guest co-host. He's a stranger. Uh, one <laughs> the of the things thing. that I've, I did mention earlier is that none of these had return addresses. Okay. Uh, this one, this last one that was addressed to the Gillespie's did. Uh, it was 550 Ridgewood, Circleville, Ohio. Uh, unfortunately, the Circleville writer didn't slip up and reveal himself. This was actually the address of the superintendent, Gordon Massey. So apparently this was a sick joke. I was going to say, you're not a very good wow. stalker if no. you put yeah. your actual address. <laughs> address on it. So when Mary And isn't he the subject of the whole thing? Yeah, so okay. far it's it's been... A couple letters to the Gillespies telling them to admit the affair and a couple letters to the school, the school board. board or Mr. Massey or sco- Superintendent Massey okay. telling him to reveal the affair. So Mary, from the beginning, kind of suspected the letters were being written by somebody named David Longberry. He was a fellow bus driver who had expressed romantic interest in her and whom she had rejected. And whom is clearly unstable if that's the person <laughs> you're talking about. <laughs> Uh, determined to get to the bottom of who's writing these letters, Mary and Ron Gillespie reached out to Ron's sister. Her name was Karen Freshhauer, and her husband, Paul Freshhauer, and Paul's sister, who doesn't even really get named. Um, so at this point, we have the Gillespies reached out to Ron's sister, Karen, and her husband, Paul. So there's where more of, the name, more of these names come in. I know one of these names gets featured a lot. Yeah. So everybody was getting letters, but they were all keeping them to themselves. Like I mentioned, the school board and Mr. Massey kept those under wraps, and then the Gillespies were keeping them under wraps until they got the fresh hours involved. 
And since Mary believed David Longberry was the writer, the five of them, the Gillespies, the Fresh Hours, and Paul's sister, decided to kind of write their own letter to David in the same style of block letters, telling him that they knew that he was the writer of the letters. So does that sound, is that a really good idea? Mm. To antagonize the person you think is... That's probably not what letters? I would have done. No. But they made it seem like, I know this is the guy that's yeah. doing this, so we'll do the same thing to him. Yeah. What if he's not? Now they're just you harassing know, now, now some poor creed, dude. Now he's creeped exactly. because he's so, getting the... Uh, uh, the letters stopped for a few weeks, so they thought they actually had identified Mr. Longberry as the writer, and the letter stopped. So after a couple weeks of respite, Mary and Ron started to believe that the unpleasant episode was well and truly behind them. Spoiler, it wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> this but, wouldn't be a mini-mystery. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're all done, Kurt. Uh, after one, or, but after, but one afternoon, driving home from work, Ron spotted something horrific. A sign by the side of the road in that same scrawled block handwriting. It accused Gordon Massey of having sex with the Gillespie's 12-year-old daughter, Tracy. Dang. He stopped his car to haul the obscene sign out of the ground, but over the following weeks, more and more callous signs started springing up faster than the Gillespie's tore them down. <laughs> Christus, That's Christus. horrifying. Nope. And soon the scandalous story spun by the Circleville writer spread it around the town like wildfire. When you and I leave here today, we should put a sign at the end of the road saying, Hello, Krista. The block lettering. You have sign supplies in your car, Corey. <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically, yeah, now the letters were being written, they stopped, and now signs are being put out. And now that the it's, it's public am- can see it. Yeah, and it's amping up with yeah. what they're being accused of. No more of. hiding the letters, I guess. And then some of the signs, especially about Tracy Gillespie, were extremely vile. That's a 12-year-old? The 12-year-old daughter, yep. And the stress of all these horrible accusations put an immense strain on Ron in particular. These miserable morning chores of going around picking up signs continued every day throughout the whole summer. So now we get to August 19th, so the whole summer has basically gone by. Mary Gillespie and her sister-in-law were on their way to Florida for a girl's getaway, far away from the stresses of the signs and letters from Circleville. That evening, alone in the house with his daughter Tracy, Ron received a phone call. So this is Ron Gillespie, Mary's husband. He received a phone call. Tracy overheard him shouting on the phone, frustrated with whoever had called. After hanging up the receiver at around 10 p.m., Ron ran, grabbed his gun, kissed his daughter goodbye, he then ran off to apparently confront the assumed letter writer, which is who we're assuming was, was on the, the phone. phone call. Do we not know who was on the phone? We don't know who was on the phone. Dang it. <laughs> he hopped in his red and white pickup truck and tore off down the street. Fifteen minutes later, the wreck of his 1971 Ford was found crumpled into a tree at the end of the road. Pictures show the driver's side cabin roof bent inwards and the left side door all but disintegrated. Ron wasn't wearing his seatbelt during the crash. So he was thrown partially through the window. He died upon impact with the tree trunk. Oh, my God. So he thought he knew who the voice was. He was on his way to confront Do we know why he crashed? We'll get to it. Okay. (laughs) Kurt just got Kurt in. (laughs) Sweet. So many Circleville residents believe that Ron's death was not an accident. It was murder. After all, the letter writer had threatened Ron's life, and if if he didn't expose his wife's affair... In particular, Ron's brother-in-law, Paul Freshauer, believed that Ron had been murdered after uncovering the identity of the letter writer. There were essentially two pieces of evidence that supported this murder theory. One, Ron was not a heavy drinker, 
but his blood alcohol level was 0.16 or double our current legal. is pretty drunk. Double our current legal yeah. limit. Did you say what time of day it was? 10 o'clock at night. Okay. And he wasn't a big drinker. And he left his daughter, I think they had a son too. Maybe the son was older, I remember. Basically, he left his daughter alone to go confront this person, which is something that people say he wouldn't do. Um, but if he thought he knew who the letter writer was by the voice on the phone, he probably thought he could stop this. It's mm-hmm. frustrating. We don't know who that was on the phone. Yep. Right. Number two, Ron's revolver was found under his body. And it appeared that one round had been fired sometime between when he left his house and his body was found. Although... I don't know how familiar you guys are with guns. If you have a revolver, I think it was a nine-shot revolver. Basically, you have the casing that the bullet's in. If you shoot it, it stays in the cylinder of the revolver. Mm. So there's no way to determine whether he just stored it that way. Yeah, it could have been like that the whole... Not knowing that he... Say he took it it to the range and shot. Yeah, so then one of the cylinders would have had just an empty casing in it. The other eight would have actually had a bullet in it. I don't think he would have had... I don't know. So, I mean, I could see him storing it, not knowing that he forgot to take out one of the rounds and it was just a casing. Yeah. But a lot of people go on to say that he he obviously must have shot somebody or something between the accident and when he left. Or shot at something. Or shot at something. Hmm. Uh, The sheriff at the time, Dwight Radcliffe, his name you don't really need to remember. He'll come up a couple different times. But originally suspected foul play involved in Ron's death. And there was even a person of interest in the case who was interviewed and given a polygraph test of which they passed. And the person of interest was never publicly identified, but it's been suspected of being David Longberry. He's the one they sent the letter to? Yep, he's the one that they kind of like sent the letters to him that they thought were sent, that he was sending to them. Mm -hmm. Because they stopped after. Correct. Okay. Uh, But after the coroner, Dr. Ray Carroll, his name will come up again examined the body, and found the high blood alcohol level. Sheriff Radcliffe then changed his mind and believed Ron's death was an accident caused by drunk driving. His truck was crushed at a salvage yard fairly quickly after the accident, even though Ron's family wanted to investigate it, but it was too late. Suspicious. So that's another reason why some people think that there was kind of a cover-up. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Nope, nope, nope. You got to it? I got to its foot. I I touched it. (laughs) (laughs) I touched its foot. Do they have feet? Yes. (laughs) Uh, I touched his foot with my tongue. <laughs> I totally forgot there was even a scorpion in there because it's really good. He's been sucker. going to town on that. It's thing. like a really good sucker, and I forgot yeah. there was. And I'm like, what is my tongue hitting? And I, it was the scorpion's foot. I'm done with that. I can't. I can't toughen up. I can't. Oh my god. Nope. It's really good though. I'm gonna give like the actual lollipop a ten because the flavor is perfect. I like yeah. that you called it a lollipop. <laughs> lollipop. Well, it is. Sucker. It's a lollipop. Aren't lolly? I always picture them those big. You know. Oh, like the old school, like kids version yeah, yeah, where it's yeah. like the size of their head. The and they taste like is a 10. The taste is amazing, but I just can't. Nope. I touched give his little scorpion. Frog. He looks hungry. Yeah, I should give it to the frog. Yep, I touched his little scorpion foot in my tongue. It's done with it. Yep. Um. So apparently the Sheriff Radcliffe and all the thoughts about him covering up this thing as a possible murder uh, were possible because he was running for president of the National Sheriff's Association hmm. and a town plagued by not only an unhinged letter writer, uh, but one who had also turned to murder wouldn't be a good look for the president of this organization. The letter writer obviously was also frustrated by the lack of investigation into the case because they got into the investigation by writing letters claiming that Sheriff Radcliffe was covering up the truth of Ron's death and the letters also accused Dr. Carroll, the coroner, 
of sexual abuse of young children. Oh my gosh. So now we get to the point. Nobody's kind of, safe. Yeah, where this person seems to know all this background information about every, basically it's every like citizen. It's like the Watcher thing, but it's yeah. not just one house. It's, it's not like the, the Watcher. Town. It's like the whole town. Like, and then it's just like some lady sitting in her window watching everything happen in the neighborhood. Hmm. And we'll find out later that this person isn't always inaccurate when it comes to things he says. Oh, boy. Yep. Okay. Uh, after Ron's death, the harassment continued with letters being sent to not just Mary, but to citizens around town, to the newspaper, to local businesses, to schools, basically to everyone in Circleville. Other residents were scared since the letter writer seemed completely unhinged and knew details of the lives that a stranger would not have any way of knowing. Meanwhile, Paul Freshauer, uh, Mary's brother-in-law, yeah, Mary's brother-in-law. Uh, continued to insist that Ron had been murdered and even filed a report requesting that the FBI investigate Ron's death. That is pretty sketchy that he just takes off to, to I mean, if he, if he died drunk driving, it was a heck of a coincidence that right. and that's he had because he was threatened. threatened. Yeah, yep. he was threatened. Uh, the letters and signs continued. Now we're up to February 7th, 1983. So we skip, Almost a year. We skip ahead. Krista, do you remember? The, did you ever hear this story? No. Do you remember this? Uh, Mary was driving her school bus near where Ron had died a year or so earlier when she saw a sign posted along a nearby fence. The sign was handwritten in that block style and included an obscene message about Mary's 12-year-old daughter again. Mary pulled over and attempted to remove the sign, but when she pulled it, she saw it was attached to a box with some twine. She carried the sign and box back on board the bus and found the makeshift box was sealed shut with glue. Oh, God. After finishing her shift, she took the stuff home with her. Apparently, there are some questions as to whether she opened it on the bus. I would not wait to get home to open it. I would not take the box. (laughs) So it seems like the story has kind of changed from time to time to where she brought it home. But this is the part that I remember from Unsolved Mysteries. I mean, is this the moment of what's in the box? (laughs) (laughs) After finishing her shift, she took the stuff home and managed to force the box open with a tool. Inside was a handgun. Propped up with styrofoam. At least it wasn't a head. The other side of the string was pulled around the trigger. This homemade contraption was clearly meant to shoot Mary when she pulled down the sign. Judging from the crime scene photos taken that night, it looked like the box was mounted at roughly chest or head height. That's so crazy. That's insane. (laughs) Somebody would do that. Like Once you go and pull the sign down, it's going to pull a string to pull a trigger on a gun to kill you. Well, anyone could have tried to remove that sign, not just Mary. Yeah, it could have been like a a, a city worker. What if that little 12-year-old girl tried to remove that sign? Yep. We'll get to that later. Okay. <laughs> We've been curted so many times. I know. <laughs> uh, so just one false move away from a violent death, Mary took the gun to police who discovered the serial number was still fairly visible and despite a shoddy attempt at filing it off, the registered owner was probably the person you'd least expect. So as the sheriff's office was able to identify the handgun in this box was registered to none other than... Guesses? I got a guess. Is it Massey? It starts start with a P? No. Wes Wesley. Oh. oh. How did you guys not know? No, Wes Wesley? It was registered to Wes Wesley. Because <laughs> so, okay. you haven't mentioned him yet. Who the hell is this now, <laughs> you might ask. Uh, he was a worker at the local Anheuser-Busch bottling plant. When totally asked a, unrelated to anything we've <laughs> talked about. Up to this about. point. When asked about the gun, he stated that he had sold his gun to his supervisor. So who is that now? Start with a P? Paul Freshauer. Paul Freshauer is the one that I know. Mary's gets... own brother-in-law. What? Paul worked at. But a... what doesn't make sense is that Paul is the one that's trying to get them to look into the death of Ron. Ron as a murder. Yep. 
So then if he killed him, why would he be pushing for them to you talk about misdirection of, yeah. So Paul worked at a, as a quality control inspector at the Anheuser-Busch plant that Wes Wesley was his subordinate. Um, admitted, he admitted the gun was his, but claimed it had gone missing weeks before, denied setting the trap, and also had not reported the gun missing prior to this. And there was technically no evidence to support his claim, saying that you know he never filed the police report saying the gun was missing. He really didn't check on it frequently enough to know that it was missing. Mm. But he did admit that, yeah, I, I bought it from Wes. So, uh, Had he been the one pulling the strings all this time? It certainly appeared so, but why? Like Kurt mentioned, you know, he's the one that's kind of running this. In uh, wanting to get, to get investigated. Yeah, to get, even asking the FBI to come and investigate. But that makes him seem less guilty. Yeah, but are you going to want to get the FBI to come and investigate when you're the one doing the letters? Yeah. And we'll get to that too. Okay. <laughs> uh, so a bit of background might help us understand. But as with everything with this case, there's more to the story. Karen and Paul Freshour had recently gone through an acrimonious divorce after Karen cheated on Paul. Paul was awarded custody of their three children, and Karen ended up living in a trailer in Mary Gillespie's backyard. So Karen certainly seems to have a motive for framing Paul. She also would have had access to his gun, and despite telling police she had access to some of the original Circleville letters as well. Also to include possible Circleville letters that Paul may have written, but may or may not have mailed. And she couldn't produce any of these letters when she talked to the police. So basically she's saying that she saw Paul with some of these Circleville letters, the original block-style letters, and she even went on to say that she went into the bathroom one day and saw that there was letters in the toilet that she, he, Paul apparently tried to flush, but came yeah, but back you don't out. Know no you, can, you don't know if you can trust what she's saying. Exactly. Because she's got she a has beef no against, proof. And she's got a beef against And she Paul. has a beef against her husband. So the, what we're trying to get to is they're saying she's trying to frame Paul for yes. killing Ron. Ron. And but being the she maybe letters, did it. Possibly. Okay. Because she wow. did have access to his gun. This is complex. Yep. This is very complex. That's why this one was really cool. Huh. As for additional evidence connecting Paul to the booby trap, there was none. Paul had an alibi for the day the booby trap was sent. He was at home because there was work being done in his house. Paul also fully cooperated with law enforcement and was only connected to the letters based on accusations from his ex-wife Karen after their very contentious divorce. Hmm. So when Paul was accused of this. He was brought into the sheriff's office and they asked Paul to copy one of the Circleville letters and try to emulate the writing of the letter, a practice that is very much not proper procedure when trying to compare handwriting. So that printout I gave you... You would purposely not do it No, like you would this. take like another sample. Yeah. Of, you would be like, oh, we need you to fill out this form and then you would use that form, not yes. be like, try yep. to make this just like... So usually the suspect is asked to write a sample in his own handwriting, not attempting to copy the handwriting so that's what they did. They said, do you see this? Yes. Copy this exactly. It's so stupid, though. It is stupid. <laughs> and when they looked at it and compared them, they're like, obviously, you are the writer. <laughs> so uh, in addition to the handwriting sample that basically got him to be the number one suspect, he also failed a polygraph test. Oh, well. And then his... If you're nervous, you can fail a polygraph yeah. test. And then Karen told the police that maybe he was behind the letters to Mary and the superintendent, Mr. Massey. So Karen was the first person to technically link Paul to the letters. Using Karen's testimony, the copied letters, the failed polygraph, and the fact that the gun in the box was registered to Mr. Wes, who or Wesley, 
who was Paul's subordinate, Paul eventually admitted that he did buy it from him, he was charged with the attempted murder of Mary Gillespie. Paul was never charged with sending any of the letters, but they were used as evidence against him in trial. There was also no physical evidence ever connecting Paul to either the letters or the booby trap. Paul eventually prepared for the case against him by checking himself into Southwest Mental Health Center, planning to plead insanity, but eventually dropped the idea. Instead, he simply pled not guilty. When the case went to trial, the prosecution provided further proof that Paul was a person they'd been looking for. They had the handwriting experts testify. They had his employee records at Anheuser-Busch. They, at this point, there were 494 letters. They don't have an exact figure, which doesn't That's make sense because they specifically 494 said 494 letters. letters. Hmm. Um, but they, these were basically half of all the eventual letters. There were somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 letters. Oh, my gosh. And then on top of that, the jury listened to a treasure trove of circumstantial evidence pointing towards him. Despite having a solid alibi for that day, Paul never bothered taking the stand to defend himself. His defense, his defense came off weak, and he was eventually convicted to a maximum of 25 years behind bars. At this point, it seems as though the mystery of the Circleville writer had been solved. The only problem with this theory? I know the problem with the theory. I know. The le- more the letters came when the he was in prison. The letters continued even after Paul <laughs> Freshower was imprisoned. The prosecutor in the case got a letter saying he was guilty of corruption. Businesses got them saying that they were going to go under. Even Paul himself received letters, one stating, quote, Now, when are you going to believe you aren't going to get out of there? I told you two years ago, when we set them up, they stay set up. Don't you listen at all. Don't you think at that point, Unquote. someone would be like, uh, we got the wrong guy. Yeah, but don't people theorize that he's writing the letters and he sent himself a letter to get him, to make him look. They monitor all mail and you do not get private mail stuff in jail. They monitor everything that goes in and out of there. Seriously? Now, clearly, yeah. it is possible for people in prison to write and send letters. So the prison took numerous measures to ensure that Paul cannot write these letters while in no. prison. These measures included putting Paul in solitary confinement where he had no access to pen, paper, or the mail, and yet the letters continued to be sent during this time. Let poor guy out of jail. <laughs> Repeated sweeps of Paul Freshower's cell never showed evidence that he wrote any of the letters. They didn't find any contraband pencils or pen or graphite, no paper. He was regularly strip-searched, and all of his incoming and outgoing mail was examined. Eventually, the prison warden wrote a letter to Paul's ex-wife, Karen, Karen telling her that it was impossible that Paul was writing these letters from his cell. Additionally, Paul Freshour was imprisoned in Lima, Ohio, about 100 miles from Circleville, and all the letters, like we talked about, from since 1976 were postmarked in Columbus. Okay, so obviously he's Clearly not. Clearly impossible. So it's not clear how letters sent from a prison in Lima to Circleville through Columbus would have been postmarked at Columbus. Did he stay in prison? <laughs> 1993, the television show Unsolved Mysteries was set to air a segment on the Circleville Letter Writer. Prior to the filming of this episode, the producers of the show received a postcard in the same block style. It said, quote, forget Circleville, Ohio. If you come to Ohio, you El Sickos will pay the Circleville Writer, unquote. El Sickos? That's pretty ballsy to send (laughs) an Unsolved Mysteries, a uh, you're going to die postcard. Uh, the producers were undeterred, and the segment was filmed and broadcast. 
including an interview with Paul Freshour. I remember the interview. He's in prison. He's like interviewed in prison. Who up to that point was just about to be released on parole after serving 10 years. The postcard was one of the final communications sent from the Circleville letter writer. No letters were sent after 1994. So the writer unmasked? Question mark. In August 2021... So now we're definitely fast-forwarding. Yeah, that's a big fast-forward. It's last year. The CBS show 48 Hours aired an episode that they claimed definitively identified the Circleville letter writer through forensic document examination. CBS hired a document examiner named Beverly East, who compared the Circleville letter writers to Paul Freshour's known handwriting. She found numerous links between the letter writer's handwriting and Paul's handwriting, especially in the formation of his numbers. Beverly East said there were patterns in the anonymous letters that did not match Paul's handwriting, but found more than 100 quote-unquote quirks of Paul's writing that did match. Hmm. Questions up to this point. Questions up to this point is that how was he getting the letters out yeah, sent? Yeah, that's if, the if, big question. I remember, I remember last year it coming out that they believe Fresh Hour was the Circleville writer. And that just Correct. never sat right with me that... Unless he was working with someone, but were I, these my, letters already written and someone was just sending them? For my him? original thought was that he was working with his wife doing this, but then when they got their when they had their heated divorce, yeah. yeah, when they got their heated divorce, she would no longer be covering for him by sending. I I don't know. All right, nope. Corey's got more. A little bit more. Um, however, not all experts on the 48 Hours program agreed with that Paul Freshour was responsible for writing the letters. Former FBI profiler Mary Ellen O'Toole did not believe there was enough evidence to state that Paul was the letter writer. In particular, O'Toole points to the letters that were sent while Paul was in prison, since it was physically impossible for Paul to write and send those letters, and it seemed clear that there had been another person involved. It should be noted that there was not just a couple of letters sent during Paul's 10 years of incarceration, but that there were literally hundreds of letters sent after his incarceration to people all over central Ohio. O'Toole also believes that the letters were written by a female writer and that the letter writer was not well-educated. Paul Freshower had three college degrees, including a master's degree. Dang. Hmm. So the question of who wrote the letters, who set the booby trap for Mary Gillespie, and was Ron Gillespie... And whether Ron Gillespie died as a result of an accident or foul, foul play has yet to be answered 45 years later. So some additional information before we get to theories. Sheriff Radcliffe estimated around 1,000 to 1,500 letters were written. That's nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Paul was smart and savvy enough to file away the serial number, surely he would have, wouldn't have done such a bad job at it. Maybe he's getting too much credit but a partially filed away serial number looks like an attempt to frame him, making it look more That's true. legitimate. That's true. Partially filed away. That is true, number. that you're going to make it look like he tried filing it off and right. then do a real... Like if you're filing your, num- your serial number off, you're, you're, filing you're gone. Off. You're doing a good job of getting that off yep. of there, right. not like a half-ass job. Yeah, you file it, and then I believe there's some kind of acid that yeah, you put on there. To that eat away just, at you know, it. Hmm. Uh, Paul Freshour was released on parole in 1994, after spending 10 years in prison, he maintained his innocence until his death in 2012 at the age of 70. After his release from prison, he maintained a website dedicated to professing his innocence. Wow. Dr. Ray Carroll, who we talked about earlier, the county coroner, 
who claimed that Ron had died with a blood alcohol content two times the legal limit and was accused by the Circleville writer of child molestation, was charged with 12 counts of gross immorality, sex crimes, corruption of a minor, pornography, obscenity, and indecent exposure in December of 1993. David Longberry, the school bus driver Mary Gillespie originally suspected of writing the letters back in 1977, raped an 11-year-old girl in 1999. He went on the run and eventually committed suicide by hanging that same year. So the letter writer was on to something. The letter writer writer's coming off as the good guy now. I know. (laughs) <laughs> the letter writer also made accusations against Roger Klein, who was the prosecutor that helped to convict Paul Freshour, but those are a bit harder to confirm. Specifically, he was accused of having an affair with a school teacher and then having her murdered when he found out she was pregnant. But despite some random couple in Ohio confirming this theory to a TV news station, there is literally no evidence of this. Wow. Klein, yeah, the, Klein did go on to become an appellate court judge before retiring in 2013. Was, was right about some other stuff, obviously. And how did he know this stuff? I don't know. He or she. They think exactly. it's a woman, right? They think. Because of the way the writing yep. is? Hmm. Uh, while Paul was serving his time in prison, a fellow school bus driver of Mary's came forward saying that they had seen a large man with sandy hair in a yellow Chevy El Camino standing at the site of the booby trap sign on February 7th, 1983, about 20 minutes before Mary found the sign. When the driver passed by, the man turned away from her so she could not see his face. Paul Freshauer had dark hair and was not a large man, so he was clearly not the man that was seen by the bus driver. He didn't have a yellow El Camino either, did he? Karen, Paul's ex-wife, was, however, dating a man who was large and sandy-haired, and her brother also drove an El Camino. Police opted not to follow up on this oh, come tip. On. So who's Karen's the Karen's ex-wife. ex-wife of? So maybe Karen's new guy Boy, new is guy. trying to frame yep. Paul Freshour. I could buy that. I could buy that too, actually. So while Paul Freshour was convicted of setting the booby trap intended to kill Mary Gillespie, in part based on the anonymous letters, neither he nor anyone else has ever been charged with the actual writing of the Circleville letters. Additionally, Paul Freshour's conviction was based solely on circumstantial evidence. And while Paul's conviction relied on the idea that he was the letter writer and that the letter writer and the person who set the booby trap were the one and the same, it is impossible that he is responsible for the hundreds of letters that were sent while he was in prison. One theory of the letters is that there were multiple letter writers, not just one. Mm. This would explain how the letter writer knew secrets about such a large group of people, literally hundreds of people in central Ohio received these letters. Did the writing not match in all the we'll letters? We'll get to that. Though? Okay. <laughs> as well as how the letters continued after Paul was put in prison. While it's unlikely that there would be numerous letter writers for all who managed to keep this huge secret over 40 years, it's still not possible to rule it out. Another odd element of this case is the glaring absence of Gordon Massey from all the reportings oh, of yeah. these events. The first and most vitriolic letters were sent to or about Massey. The sign that was booby-trapped included the message that Mary's 12-year-old daughter was involved in a sexual relationship with Massey. Massey was also the targets of the early letters, and despite Mary Gillespie's denial of the affair with Massey, the two did end up having a romantic relationship after Ron's death. (laughs) So the whole thought behind the start of this was that they were having an affair, and the affair actually did start after Ron died. Self-fulfilling prophecy? Yep. Or, wow. And yet there is very little information about Massey available, despite the huge amounts of information from many of the other people involved in the case. 
Massey was a well-respected member of the Circleville community, was married with a son. He died in 1996. Now we get to journalist Martin Yant. He's an Ohio native and one of the main authorities on this case. He now heads up his own private investigation firm. During his journalism career, he was deeply involved with the Innocence Project and contributed to overturning 23 wrongful convictions. We know all about the Innocence Project here with our... uh What's his name? Stephen Avery. Oh, yeah. So Martin Yan strongly believes that Paul should have been his 24th overturned wrongful conviction. In fact, he was so convinced of Paul's innocence, he wrote a letter supporting him for his second parole hearing. It was Yan who uncovered the reports about the yellow El Camino parked where the Bruby trap was found. Add to this the fact that Karen visited Paul's sister several months before while the divorce proceedings were underway. She asked to borrow Paul's typewriter, which was loaned out to his sister to work on her book. She found it odd that Karen, who had never used a typewriter before, came looking for it that day. That's sketchy. Like, Mm -hmm. she wants to use that to write. Yeah. Around the same time, some of the Circleville letters arrived typed rather than in that block handwritten (laughs) style. That is sketchy. And who was that? That was was, uh, Uh, the one whose boyfriend was seen at the... No, because Paul's that... sister was the one that was never named in the beginning. Okay. Yep. She went. Karen, uh, Paul's ex, ex, went to visit her to pick up the uh, typewriter. So it's almost okay. like Paul's so ex and Paul's ex's boyfriend are the ones that are teaming up to make to get Paul. Mm, yep. Yeah, that's that's sketchy. So using this typewriter, was that an attempt to incriminate Paul by using his own machine? One hundred percent. Certainly sounds like a Karen thing to do. Since that was her name. (laughs) Uh, Martin Ann described her as, quote, a very, very angry, manipulative woman who was still planting negative stories about Paul even in the early 1990s. Even with all that that was going on with Paul, we talked about after his divorce, he was awarded the house, the children, basically everything in the divorce decree was sent to Paul. If Paul was to be put in jail, though, all those things would go back to Karen Mm. now. Paul originally suspected that their son, Mark, so Paul and Karen had a son named Mark, took the gun to frame him, possibly possibly at the insistence of Karen, but Paul also didn't want to implicate his teenage son. However, later Mark became troubled, possibly because of guilt later in life, leading to his suicide in 2002. Dang. So That's if the an second ang- suicide in this whole yep. story. So if the angry divorcee Karen was responsible for the second episode of the story, how about the first? She didn't exactly have a motive to name and shame her sister-in-law. To explain this, Yant states that there was probably at least two Circleville letter writers throughout the years. So jumping back in chronological order, we have David Longberry. Yant agrees that he was probably to blame for the original harassment campaign, but it's not clear at which point Karen or maybe another culprit took over the duties but safe to say Longberry was most likely the one who started the and whole thing. was Longberry thing. the one that they all sent letters to that were in the same yes. style? Okay, yep. Yep. yeah. So that was for possibly revenge for the superintendent stealing his love interest. Um, it's a very distinctive... Which he hadn't actually done yet. Like Correct. the writing style is very distinctive. And yep. if you see this enough, you're going to be able to copy it. I so you don't really need... It doesn't need to be one person. It can be multiple people. So the last thing before we get to the theories is what's especially creepy is how omnipotent the Circleville letter writer seems. They knew so much people's secrets in towns. One of the things, too, is in the original letters, they talk about bus driver 
and they gave a series of five digits. So stop having Massey flirt with bus driver. It was like 62747. Come to find out when they looked up the employee records, 62747 was Mary's employment number. So how did the person know that, like nobody knows my badge number no. at work, but I know my badge number at work. Mm-hmm. So but how bus would somebody have, have their numbers like on their... They don't know if it was posted somewhere like at the bus depot or wherever yeah. they start. So basically we're the theories. Anything you want. To... I never, never thought Fresh Hour did it. I didn't either. I well, remember I remember when I was watching the the interviews on Unsolved Mysteries that I thought he was innocent. You know, the fact that up until his death he held this I think the website's still actually active. You can actually still look at it. It lists all the reasons why he didn't do it. What would his motive be? I feel like where's the motive? The motive is with the ex wife. I don't understand why you would kill innocent people just to frame your ex husband so he would go to prison. That's a the bit only thing that to makes me. sense to me is Longberry did the first one, and then he got freaked out once people started sending him the same letters back, and then they saw an opportunity and then to his turn ex that into something. And his ex and her boyfriend mm-hmm. kept on with them. So we have theory one: Paul did it, all of it. No. There's a lot of people. I, mean, I read about this on Reddit. And there's a lot of people that do think he's guilty of it. Yeah, I, I think that Ron's death was basically an accident. But it's just so. But it's yeah, so coincidental. It's yeah. so coincidental. That murder it, in a letter. Like I wish I knew who he was talking to on the phone. I wish there was some record of who he was talking to on the phone. Like did someone when he lure went, him out when of the he house? went storming out of the house with a gun? Yeah, I don't know why they couldn't. Maybe it's something that they couldn't do back in the late seventies. Was well, now he would be all. Oh <laughs> yeah, you could find that number no problem. Plus, like, yeah, circle I would, would think that would be in your phone record. The writer though. now would have email too. So imagine how that would be. Yeah, it'd be in Comic Sans. Yeah, it'd be certain. Certain font. Gothic, uh, whatever. Theory two, Paul did it with an accomplice, but who? Theory three, a still yet unknown person or persons. Theory four, four Karen Freshhauer and David Longberry. That's who I'm going, I'm kind of leaning towards. Theory five, and the last theory, three or more different people. A popular one suggesting the first few were somehow by someone in Gordon Massey's family trying to stop the affair. Then Karen Freshhour took over to implicate her ex-husband. And then a third person took over to right the wrong of Paul being put in prison. One last thing of note. Gordon Massey's son, the superintendent, was named William. A fact that later came out was that the first few Circleville letter writers were signed with a sort of W. Huh. So did... I think that's where I fall. I could... I mean, I I understand the theory with the three writers that the first one, but say that first one was what's his name, Dingleberry, uh, Longberry, Longberry, Longberry. Longberry. <laughs> Dingleberry. Say say Longberry had a thing for no. Mary. Well, say that he did the first couple. Don't okay. you think that he would have at some point maybe come out and said, you know, I did do the first couple, but I didn't. I'm not doing these now. You know, don't you think that he would have maybe. Yeah, especially if he was doing the first couple, and then he was freaking out because all of a sudden now there were all there was somebody else was doing this and putting guns out and killing and possibly killing people. Like, wouldn't you say, yeah, I did the first letters, but I have nothing to do with these, or were you if you'd be too afraid of getting charged and I, dragged into right. the suspicion? And that's what I think most people forget is they look at the amount of letters and all the letters as a whole. If you go back to the very beginning, it was somebody trying to stop an affair between yeah. somebody that they either worked with or liked and a superintendent, although there was no evidence at that time that they were neither one of them admitted to an affair, 
and there was no evidence of an affair, although eventually they did end up, you know. <laughs> How old was his son William at the time? I'm really intrigued by William all I of think a sudden. Early 20s. Hmm. So did he know that his father was having rumors of an affair and he wrote the letters basically trying to stop, but then the letters just get more unhinged along the way. So would a 20-year-old get to the point where he's threatening murder because of an apparent affair? I don't think so. I, f- I feel like the, I think that. Well, unless he was just unhinged to begin with. True. I think that there were multiple writers. I really do. I don't think. I think the first one. Someone needs to analyze the letters, like a professional. Yeah, but you. It's. I don't know. But there are little things, though, like the way the G is curled. You know what I mean? There are little things that you can really zero in on to attribute to a a singular person. That one thing that's popped up, like in a weird synchronicity way for me, Corey. You know what I'm talking about? I was reading the one of the bigger secrets books about uh, the Beale treasure. And the cipher, that there's a treasure out there that has this cipher that supposedly once you decode it, you're going to... Die? No, you're going to figure out where this treasure's buried. (laughs) Okay. Uh, That's way better than mine. And there's another letter there that they've cracked that you have to use the letter or the words from the Declaration of Independence. Declaration of Independence. Uh, But they did something on it called styletrami, stylometry. There's something like that where they had like a style... Stylometry. <laughs> they yeah. had one of these people look at it, and they found out that the person that wrote the book about the cipher used the same like amount of commas, and they used these same words that. Right. And then you look at like an average of how many people use that word, and you see that that person uses it way more than the average one. It's like a fingerprint. Yeah, almost. but I just read about it in some other case where they were talking about letters. That's so, why I mean, I think, there are ways. There are ways out... to do this, like based on the word usage. Yeah, and, couldn't they yeah. figure out if it was one person versus multiple just by analyzing well, all the letters? Somebody did point out too that the original letters sound uh, specifically pointed to me or I, and some of the some of the later letters talk about we. Yeah. So there's a possible like could have would you again. accidentally refer to we when you mean I? I don't think so. I think somebody no, you did, when you do did. that, you normally think of somebody in the back of your mind like like you know you're writing these letters with somebody else. Yeah. I honestly think at some point Karen and her boyfriend were doing the letters. Yeah. I really do. I think it's three at five least the framing. That it's yeah. three people? I think it's three people. I, I don't necessarily know if William Massey's son was the one doing it. But I think somebody just wanted to stop the affair, and then I don't know how it got Snowballed. so unraveled to yeah. where they were threatening with murder and like stalking, looking at Ron's red and white truck, and knowing that they have children and where they live, and knowing that people were basically pedophiles. Like, yeah, and knowing all this background information. Someone in law enforcement. Yeah, the prosecutor was maybe doing something. The coroner was uh, molesting young children. Longberry was convicted of raping an eleven-year-old. And then hung himself. So yeah, you have all this inside information that I don't think Who would it would have, have to be somebody to that have all that information. Yeah. And it was before the internet, so you have no way of like hacking into somebody's email right. and looking at all this stuff. No. So yeah, it's 
still to this, was it like 45, 50 years still later? Mystery. Still Still would say that's a real head scratcher. It's a head scratcher. I never is. thought Paul Freshour was was guilty. No, it doesn't did. feel right because I still can't figure out what the motive is. And it sucks if you're in prison and you get that letter that says, oh, we told you that if we set you up, you'd stay set yeah. up and all and this like, stuff. And like you, you said, you, do, you don't try to involve the FBI because you know they're going to throw all kinds of money and, and yeah, people you know at the that problem. They're, they're going to really know start, it's you. You know, other than some right. little small oh. town like Circle Old Police Department is one thing. But when you got the FBI looking at it, that's a completely different <laughs> right. thing. It's just so weird to me that that person died storming out of the house from a phone call. Yep. And it's just such a coincidence that... I mean, like, I have two young kids, teenagers, almost teenager, and I don't think... I guess I probably would leave them home alone if I knew that there was something going on, but I think Mary was... 12 so that would be my yeah. basically my daughter you're gonna Grayson's the house age. With a gun you're gonna take yeah. a gun but isn't 12 at least here legal babysitting age yeah i mean you can be responsible for 70s. other yeah, human but something beings. really set him off if he goes storming out of the house with a gun and we certainly yeah. wouldn't take her with if he felt there was danger no. yeah yeah so that See, is the g's the... are very distinct they like have a curl up at the top and then a curl at the bottom but i feel like with the way that that looks it's easy to you write could. a letter like that but that thing about stylometry or whatever says, even if you try your best to disguise yeah. who you are, there's little ticks that you have in your writing right. that, that are going to come out. Oh, yeah. even like commas. Like, so I'm maybe, maybe this is something like people need to relook at these. I'm sure, like, do they you still even bother scan them into a computer these? today and let the yeah. computer like, do this? This is something they need to reopen because still, I don't think, did anybody actually die from this that we know of? There was a mur- attempt with a gun. suicides. Yeah, but, but, an accident and some suicides, but as far as we know, no. But even that booby trap, yeah. I mean, that basically would have worked. Yeah. So it's mm. like... That's scary. That is scary. That's a good head scratcher, Corey. That I'm is a, a good fan. head scratcher, Corey. Yeah, I've Appreciate always been fascinated it. with that case. Now he's going to go to Tom go back on to my scorpion. scorpion now on to my head scratcher. And this is one of those stories that a lot of people know. Like, I knew it from the... 70s when there was the the glut of paranormal books ufo books and so many people remember it from either the description or a picture an illustration of the creature like reaching down off a porch roof and touching someone's hair like everybody remembers that from this but this is just like a really fascinating story and i i don't know what i think and there's a lot of podcasts about this um I, the two articles that I used the most were a mental floss article called Strange States, which I think we're going to have our lawyers contact them about because we use Strange <laughs> States, but it was about Kentucky's alien visitors and a website, ufologypatrickgross.org. I used that because it had a really good timeline. So my story is about the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter. And if you've never heard it, it's a crazy one. Here we go. Around 11 o'clock p.m. on the night of August 21st, 1955. It's a great day. Is that your birthday? It is. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) wow. That's coming up. Uh Around 11 o'clock p.m. on the sultry, steamy, humid, hot night of August 21st, 1955, a large group of people, and this is one of the problems I have with this case, is that there's a lot of discrepancies, Mm. a lot of... Uh, Some accounts say eight people. Some accounts say 12 to 15 people. Most of the ones I've seen that I really think did a really good job and I buy say 11 people. So I'm just going to go with that. A large group of people believed to be 11 people 
all completely freaked out and panicking, ran into the Hopkinsville, Kentucky police station saying that they needed help and that they had spent the last four hours fighting off alien creatures at their farm. So you can imagine that the cops are like, oh, uh-huh. uh, this is like backwoods Kentucky. I was going to say, where's is, the moonshine? Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's one thing that... It's just a normal Saturday night for Backwoods, Kentucky. Who did a really good, Astonishing Legends did a really good episode about this. And they joked about it, but they said, we are not, we just want to say we are not making fun of hillbillies, quote unquote. But I mean, this was was a small town in Kentucky, like a rural. If anything, I think they'd be the type of people that would never go to the police with something. Yep, that's exactly what comes up in here. What you said is exactly what comes up. So these people were like seriously amped up. I don't think it was at the station. It might have been on the way back to the farmhouse, but they had a a doctor with them. And the doctor said that one of the men had a pulse of 140 beats per minute, which is fast. So they said these people were obviously freaked out about something. So they told the police the story of their evening, which would become known as the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter. According to Wikipedia... The people at the farmhouse that night included 50-year-old Glennie Lankford. I love Glennie. Like everything you hear about Glennie, Glennie's like just, you know how I kind of liked, what's her name from the Bet Sphere? The, 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 the mom mm-hmm. with the Bet Sphere. That's how I feel about Glennie Lankford. Like Glennie just comes across as awesome. You got a name like Glennie, you got to be a cool dude. Right. It's, it's like Butch. It's a like girl. somebody named Butch. It's a lady. Yeah, everybody oh. loves somebody. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh really? <laughs> Glennie's a lady? Glennie's a lady. Oh. 50-year-old See, Glennie. I thought. Fifty-year-old Glennie Lankford, her children, which were Lonnie, Charlton, and Mary, who were aged 12, 10, and 7, two sons from a previous marriage, Elmer Lucky Sutton, and they called him Lucky because he had Lucky tattooed on his knuckles. So you have Elmer Lucky Sutton and John Charlie, or J.C. Sutton, their respective wives, Vera and Aileen, Aileen's brother, Opie Baker... (laughs) And 20, <laughs> these names are Opie. It's Vera. O-P, like the letters. Okay. It's not so Opie. Like, it's not like Ron Howard on, on oh, Andy Griffith's gotcha. show. But I'm not, still, these names are great. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's like the late 50s names or yeah. like backwards Kentucky names. <laughs> We're not making fun of people. I love either. it, actually. No, I love it. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, the more that I like read about it and listened to, like I kind of like feel like I know them all now. And they're yeah. kind of like... There's a, there's a famous picture I'll show you guys later that has one of them saying what the ship looked like, like with his hand, and the other ones are looking on, and you can see what they actually kind of look like. But yeah, Glennie Langford, her children, Lonnie, Charlton, and Mary, who were 12 years old, 10 years old, and 7 years old, two sons from a previous marriage, Elmer Lucky Sutton and John Charlie J.C. Sutton, their respective wives, Vera and Aileen, Aileen's brother, O.P. Baker, and 21-year-old Billy Ray Taylor. Billy, I think he played our county fair last year. Yeah, I think so. Billy, <laughs> Billy Ray Taylor and his 18-year-old wife, June. June. So, I mean, his name, so I'm that's sorry. So that's the group you have out there. Love it. Glennie, Lonnie, Charlton, Mary, Lucky, J.C., Vera, Aileen, O.P. Baker, Billy Ray Taylor and his 18-year-old wife, June. It's like the cast of Hee Haw. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's the group that are out there at the, the farmhouse that night. I instantly night. love these people. Okay. And this also brought, got brought up with a lot of chuckles in the podcast I listened to. Billy Ray, his wife, June, J.C. Sutton, and Vera Sutton were all carnival workers. They were all carnies. <laughs> of course they were. <laughs> 
So Krista's over there. I'm just sorry. I'm sorry. What's, there's, there's, this, I, this is very endearing, if you ask me. It is. I mean, like, like, I really, these are real people. I really like this group of people. The, yeah, more, the more that I like researched this I like and read about this. the people in the last story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I love these people. Carnies. This should Carnies, be a movie. <laughs> this, sh- this should be a movie. Actually, do you know what? Do you know what movie this more or less was responsible for, you'd be a really movie? surprised. What movie this story was more or less responsible for. E. Think E.T. E. Really? Because E.T. originally started out as a horror story about aliens, yeah, like having people I trapped on that. a farm. Yeah. And then he finally is like, I kind of want to make this a family movie. So that so this movie was responsible. And do you know what popular saying or what popular description this story is responsible for? Even though it's totally inaccurate. It is responsible for the phrase "little green men." Oh, so yeah, at the this is at the farmhouse. You're at the farmhouse. Do you want me to list all their names again, or are you guys good? No, I'm good. Okay, <laughs> so they're hanging out. The Carnies, you know, the family is all hanging out. The farmhouse was the Sutton's farm in the tiny town of Kelly, Kentucky, and I mean tiny. We're talking a population of maybe 50 people on a busy day. Wow. So it's a small town. It's like a crossroads. <laughs> yeah, basically, it's like a crossroads. Okay. So it was an unpainted three-room farmhouse without running water and with no telephone, no radio, no TV, and no books. Dang. Jeez. No books? No books. No TV, no radio, no running water. It was a farm, though? I'm guessing a lot of drink. No. Actually, and this comes up later, is that everybody's first assumption is they were drunk this night. But I'm assuming that because there's no TV, radio, books, that, that... goes towards credibility that they couldn't have watched something yeah, and yeah. then determined yeah. or read yeah. something. Yes, yeah. And, and some of the stuff I read said that yeah, does go towards point. their credibility, mm-hmm. but other people said it kind of doesn't go towards their credibility. Why? So they have no preconceived notions of what Well, because one of, one of the things that comes into play is that there was a meteor shower that night and they might not have, you know, but people say they didn't know about that because they didn't have TV or, or even newspapers. Right. And the so maybe that's why they misidentified them. what they were seeing in the sky. But we're going to get into that. Okay. So they had nothing there. And people, there a lot of people, first, their first assumption is that these people are what? Stupid. No, he'll be like oh. drunken, like drinking their shine, you know, making their shine. But by, by almost all accounts, Glennie Lankford, who owned the place, was very anti-drinking and she didn't hmm. let them drink. And some I'm accounts, not calling them stupid. But no, but some <laughs> accounts, some accounts say that they were drunk. Some accounts say they weren't drunk. Uh, one account from an officer said they mm. found a couple like beer cans there, like one or two beer cans, but there was no, they didn't find like jars of shine. So one or uh, two beer cans among eleven people does not equal no, a bunch of drunk exactly. people. So there's a lot of debate on whether or not they were drunk, how much drinking was going on. But for the most part, everybody. But we're going to get into. Uh, later, we're going to get into like an interview with the granddaughter, like like uh, Glennie's Glennie's granddaughter. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it's just I don't think I don't think drinking was involved. Just spoiler there. So yeah, we were talking no telephone, no radio, no TV, no books, no nothing. That hot, humid Sunday night, the group all had dinner together and settled in to play a card game because there's obviously nothing else to do. You know, so they they ate their Sunday night dinner. They had this is like wholesome family stuff. It's like Walton stuff. Yeah, Yeah. they were sitting down to play a card game. Around seven o'clock p.m., Billy Ray walked outside to the well to get some water because it was a super hot night. They obviously didn't have central air conditioning there. Right. Uh, There there were actually a lot of reports about how 
it was actually really good that the house was positioned a certain way with a door at the back and a door at the front that they could open and get like circulating air. So I I went, I read way into their, their air conditioning (laughs) procedures at this place. I actually yesterday wanted to see if this was even still, this farmhouse was still there. Mm. I mean, I got the address, so I'm, this is, this is, this one I'm like super, super interested in this case and kind of want to go there now and see this place. So yeah, around 7 o'clock p.m., Billy Ray walked outside to the well to get some water because it was a super hot and humid night. While he was at the well, he saw a silver object in the sky that he described later as, quote, real bright, with an exhaust all the colors of the rainbow. He says that it flew silently towards the house, passed over it, stopped in midair, and then dropped straight down into a gully near the farmhouse with a hissing sound. Taylor ran back into the house to tell him what he had seen, but everyone in the house laughed it off because he was kind of a prankster. Mm. Like, uh, by some reports, he even asked June, his wife, he's like, you believe me, don't you? And she just started laughing at him. So he sees this thing in the sky, and he's trying to tell them what he saw, and nobody's believing him. And this is where there's two different versions of the story. In one version, they go outside because of the dog barking. In another version, Billy Ray takes, I think, lucky out because he wants lucky to see what he saw too or whatever but either way they end up going outside so we're going to go with the the first story a little while later the family's dog outside kept barking so lucky and billy ray went to the back door where they saw their dog quickly scurry underneath the house and then the two men saw a strange glow in the field near the house looking closer they saw that the glow seemed to be coming from some kind of creature It was about three and a half feet tall, and they described it as having, quote, an oversized head, almost perfectly round, big pointed ears. Its arms extended almost to the ground. Its hands had talons, and its oversized eyes glowed with a yellowish light. They said that the body gave off kind of a shimmer in the light of the night's new moon as if made of, quote, silver metal and they see this creature that's glowing come walking out of the field towards them. So Billy Ray and Lucky decide to give the creature a Kentucky welcome, so they run back inside and grab a 12-gauge shotgun and a twenty-two rifle and came back outside. At this time, the creature was walking towards them with its arms both raised to the sky like it was surrendering, and the two men fired their guns at the creature. Of course. <laughs> They said that when the creature was hit by gunfire, it did kind of a weird backflip, got up, and ran away. They ran back into the house and told the rest of the group what had happened. They were wondering what to do, and then after a few minutes, they saw one of the creatures looking in at them through a side window, so they fired a bunch of shots through the window. (laughs) They say that they saw the creature once again do a backflip and then run off into the tall grass. Wow. It's like a ninja. It (laughs) It kind of is. (laughs) The fact that it put its hands up like you would if you were giving up or showing that you're not armed or anything seems like a very human, emotional thing to do. It does. And it seems like if you're an alien, say your ship just went down and you need gasoline or something for it, you're going to come to the farmhouse like arms up, be like, hey... And, of course, they open up on it with shotguns. Only and, if and you have some kind of knowledge of how humans interact with each other. Yeah, the fact that it's backflipping all over the place. <laughs> like it's Mary Lou Retton yeah. you know, <laughs> or Simone Biles oh or God. something like that for, a, I guess, more updated reference. But, yeah, it seems like it's doing very human things. Yeah, yeah but remember, it's it's not just one or two people that right. experience this whole night. It's like 11 people. You know, the more this. that you go into this, I feel like that this was touched on in that show I'm watching with Ben Hansen, UFO Witness. It probably was. Really it, this, is, this is a famous, this is actually a famous UFO case. Yeah, it's sounding more and more familiar. Yeah. 
Do you know? Do you know what ET three things ET was like designed after? I knew at one like time how, how he looks. Yeah, the like why they made him look the way he did. I one of them that I remember is they wanted to lick a pug. Oh, really? A pug? A pug. Oh, I have heard that. <laughs> yeah, and it's he's pug got all and two folds. other things that I can't I don't remember. Think I knew yeah. A wet, a wet pug. Yeah, he has a lot of folds. That's for sure. Yeah, tried to. They used he's, three things to make the kind of like a pug too. Appearance. Is that, yeah, one of them. Was a <laughs> they pug. actually had a lot of hard work to do with that to make him alien esque, but also kind of cute. Yeah. Yep. You know. So yeah, they 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 fired through their side window. The thing did a crazy backflip and ran off back into the woods. Glennie Lankford would later say, quote, I went out into the hallway and crouched down next to Billy when I saw one approaching the door. It looked like a five-gallon gasoline can with a head on top and small legs. It was a shimmering bright metal like on my refrigerator. I'm trying to picture what a five-gallon gasoline can looks like. So it's basically, it looks like a five-gallon gasoline can with a head on top and small spindly legs. Uh, it was shimmering bright like metal on my refrigerator. I'm picturing oh, like there, the there's Tin a Man. Famous, there's, there's famous pictures of what this creature supposedly looked like. Okay. I'll show you. Kelly. There's actually a Pokemon based on what this character looks like. I think it's strangely cute. Yes. that's it. Corey's got it. That's exactly what the creature supposedly wow. looked like. Yeah. Weird. Well, three and a half <laughs> feet. some big ears. Three, yeah. Three, it had big floppy ears. It's described as having big floppy ears. So that's kind of what it looked like. So Glenny, like a Pokemon. Glenny saw it where she said it looked like a five-gallon gasoline can with a head on top and small legs. It was shimmering bright like metal on my refrigerator. So they decided to go outside and see if they wounded the creature. When Taylor opened the door and stepped out onto the porch, one of the creatures had gotten onto the porch roof and it reached down and touched his hair. And that's the picture that everybody remembers okay. like from when you're a kid. That's what you posted. The picture of the alien crouched, like okay. reaching down and touching his hair. Some accounts say pulled his hair. Some accounts say touched his hair. Some accounts say patted, like petting him, like it was <laughs> petting him. So when the creature touched his hair, Aileen quickly pulled Taylor back into the house, and Lucky ran out of the house into the yard and fired up at the creature on the roof, and the shots knocked it off the roof. Then someone yells that one of the creatures is up in a tree near the house, so everyone looks and sees one of the creatures perched up in a branch in a tree. Both men shoot at the creature in the tree, and after it gets hit, it lets go of the tree and slowly floats down to the ground. You know what I'm also hearing similarities to? What? Signs. Yeah, this yeah. is this this was very much a lot of signs was based They're up on the roof. Yes, a lot of signs, okay. the movie Signs was based on this. So they fire up at the one that's like perched on a tree branch and knock it out of the tree where it floats down to the ground and then runs off into the weeds like they all seem to be doing. Yeah, both men shoot at the creature in the tree and after it gets hit, it lets go of the tree and slowly floats down to the ground. The two men fire at it again once it's on the ground and the creature runs off into the grass. The family later said that the sound of the bullets hitting the creature was similar to that of ammunition hitting a sheet of metal. Mm-hmm. So... Ping. Yeah, like a pit's like pinging off the creature. Like hmm. they're shooting at the creature in the tree and then it just floats down. Did it appear to have like armor on or was no, that its no, body? That, no, that's just its body. Weird. One of the creatures shows up again on the roof, so they shoot at it and the creature floats away in midair to a fence 40 feet away instead of falling from the roof. Okay, that would that would be really <laughs> creepy. <laughs> they went back inside and locked the doors and listened for sounds, only hearing the occasional sounds of something scratching on the roof, like ah, claws, like nope. scratching, trying to get in. That's creepy. Some reports say that during the time, the creatures kept peering in the windows around the house. 
A little before 11 o'clock p.m., the group decides to make a run for it, so they threw the doors open, and they all ran to the cars carrying the children, who were obviously freaked out and screaming. They got inside the two cars and sped off to the police station. After telling Chief of Police Russell Greenwell and the rest of the police there what had happened, the police called for backup and headed to the Sutton Farm, where they were joined by state police, military police from nearby Fort Campbell, and a photographer from the Kentucky New Era. So now you have this convoy of military police, state police, and the Kelly police driving to the farmhouse. I think if I went to the police department now, I couldn't get that kind of no, no, like turnout that no. quick. It no. seems for almost like no, but this was this was fifties little small town. They probably wanted something to do, like, you yes. know. <laughs> like, yeah, we got something, but yeah, they had the military police there. Uh, there's a lot of people that misrepresent that as being Air Force police, and they weren't. It was like Army police. It was like like an Army base. It was not Air Force police. But you have all these police now going out to the Sutton Farm. Although after the recent disclosures, maybe you would get a response. Yeah, just you never know. It seems weird that you'd be able to get that many people that short amount of time. Yeah. All stationed and ready to go. Yeah. Like well, you figured, was there a you figured like the f- photographer from the newspaper was probably right there in town, so they <laughs> right. probably called him. But the, like the... You know, I don't know how immediate it was. It might have been like a 15, 20 minute wait before they all headed out. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so you have all those police go out there and they show up at the house. So now tons of cars are at the Sutton farm with lights turned on everywhere. The police chief checks if anyone had been drinking and finds no such indication. The police note that tons of bullets have been shot all around the house and yard, but the yard soil is hard and it doesn't show any footprints and they don't see any creatures. A strange luminous stain in the grass where a creature supposedly fell is found by the chief of police. The luminosity is only visible from one angle, which is weird. That like is one weird. of the areas where the creature supposedly fell is glowing, but only if you like look at it from a certain angle. After searching around a bit, the police and everyone else that showed up at the farmhouse leave. So now it's just a family there again. After settling down a bit, Glenny again sees one of the creatures looking in through the window at her with its clawed hand against the window. Lucky grabs his gun, but Glennie tells him just leave it be because the creatures haven't really done anything to them. Lucky ignores her and shoots through the window with no effect. The creature does a backflip again, (laughs) runs away, and comes back to the window again. (laughs) His backflips are cracking me up. This happens on and off until about 90 minutes before sunrise when they are last seen. A thing that I don't have in here that did show up a lot is that the creatures almost didn't like light. Like, they Mm. avoided light. Like, they hated light. Okay. So 90 minutes before the sun comes up, the creatures are last seen. Then in the days after, there is another invasion at the farmhouse, but this time it's humans. Tons of people show up at the Sutton farm. Hot dog stands, souvenir shops, and soda stands appear. The Suttons are, are, are understandably pissed, so they put up no trespassing signs, which are ignored. They're like, hey, we run the carny stuff around <laughs> yeah. here. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, So the family asks the police for help to stop the mob from gathering, but the police aren't able to really do anything. So the family tries to figure out how to stop the mass of people coming to the farmhouse. So they decide that everyone now has to pay a dollar to enter the property, and it costs people $10 to take pictures of the house. After they put this policy in place, the press and the public quickly decide that the whole thing was just a hoax to make money. Yep. No. Oh, I know, but that's... Yeah, but of course people are going to say that. So once people say that, like any interest in this just dies. And it's like, oh, they're just a bunch of hillbillies just out to make money by... So they got rid of the public, but now they're being portrayed as liars. A year later, famous ufologist J. Allen Hynek looks into the case. Mm. And I hate that... 
I dislike J. Allen Hynek just because he is rumored to have stolen the original Bet Sphere, which I'm obsessed oh. with, and I want the Bet Sphere. He's talked a lot about in that show that I watch. Really? UFO Witness. About yeah. the Bet Sphere? No, oh, you. Well, J. J. Allen Hynek yeah, is like a Hynek. big guy. Like yep. I, I, but I just, just he maybe didn't even take the Bet Sphere, but it just, it just chaps my butt to Poor think Hynek. that him taking that. But anyway, uh, J. Allen Hynek, the leading UFO researcher of the early days of ufology, said that the Kelly Hopkinsville case seemed, quote, preposterous and offensive to common sense. Hmm. So he obviously didn't buy this. Okay. He didn't buy this. So J. Allen Hynek kind of checked it out and Project Blue Book looked into the case, but their case reports on it have a, quote, CP designation, which stands for crackpot. Nice. Yeah, so they they obviously aren't really into the uh, into thinking They're that this is a legit it. either. So J. Allen Hynek and Project Blue Book are like, yeah, no, this does this isn't it. In I night, wonder why. I wonder if they think the people aren't credible, or if they just think the story. A, a lot telling of it comes from. Fantastic. I'm sure that the, the the it's a backwoods. Cons- family and i'm sure a lot of it is you're predisposed to think that they're drinking shine and that they're crackpots that's too bad you know and i'm sure that's it sucks but that's one of the first sure instincts you're gonna have but again why would they i don't know so in 1978 isabel davis and ted blecker published their co-authored pioneering book on humanoid ufo entities called quote close encounters at kelly and others of 1955 based largely on her field investigation and direct witness interviews in the Kelly, Kentucky case. And this book is available online as a PDF. So I downloaded the PDF and it's, it's really good because she has sketches of like where everything is on the farm. And if you're interested in this at all, try to find the PDF of this book, Close Encounter at Kelly and others of 1955, because it, she interviews Glennie, she interviews all the people uh, that were involved in this. Nobody died from the family or committed suicide? or <laughs> Well, they died yeah. eventually, but, yeah, but not, nobody, not that like, I'm aware of. They weren't all trying to frame yeah, each other for so From a Kentucky New Era uh, newspaper article from December 30th, 2002, it says, quote, Geraldine Hawkins was only seven or eight years old the first time she heard the story of the Kelly Green men. Although her father, Elmer Lucky Sutton, was one of the people who witnessed the alien invasion on August 21st, 1955, he didn't talk about it to Hawkins until the late 1960s when two writers contacted him for an interview. This was the first I'd ever heard of it, Hawkins said about the Kelly incident during an interview at her home in Princeton on Friday. She said, quote, I remember it was a man and woman that came to the house. Those are the two that wrote the book um, that I, I just mentioned. I had never heard anything about this. I remember sitting on the floor with my legs crossed listening to this story. It terrified me. He talked to me a lot about it because I was one of the last ones to leave home, the younger Sutton girl said. I prodded him a bit about it. A lot of times he wouldn't talk about it. If I'd catch him in the right mood, he'd sit down and talk for hours about it. When he did, I would listen. To be honest with you, he knew someday he'd die. I guess he wanted one of us to know the truth. Dad said that they appeared to have a human shape, but with some modifications that made them different. He called them little green men. He called them green, but said they actually weren't green. He said they were silver, that they had a weird greenish silver glow to them. He said they were about three feet tall, about the size of a five-year-old. Their arms were double the length of humans, and they had pointed floppy ears. He said the eyes were in the same place as humans, but were more of an almond shape. The eyes had a luminous glow. He said they didn't really walk. They just kind of skimmed on top of the ground, but moved their legs. (laughs) That's creepy. That is creepy. That is a creepy image. 
He told me he didn't know what the world they had in mind, but he wasn't going to stand around to find out, Sutton said. What else was he supposed to do, she said, go up and shake one of their hands? <laughs> I mean, yeah. The little talons? I mean, when they're coming to the house with their arms up, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I get that your first instinct is going to be to, to blast at them with a shotgun, but... Yeah, arms up or not, it's still an alien. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just want to see some backflips. <laughs> some, right. some, some alien backflips. She went on to say, quote, the following weekend after those two writers had been there to talk to him, they took us out there to where it happened. I remember a big, round, burned-out place back there in the field. It was still there. They sensationalized the story because Billy Ray and my father worked at the carnival, that they were able to create this kind of fiasco. He wouldn't have done that anyway. He wasn't that type of person. You could look at him and tell that something did happen to them that night. They couldn't have made up something like that. They were just country folk. They wouldn't have thought to think up something like that so elaborate, and they wouldn't have run to town terrified in the middle of the night. She went on to say, I could always tell when my dad was pulling my leg. He wasn't pulling a fast one. It was a serious thing to him. It happened to him. He said it did happen to him. He said it wasn't funny. He said it was an experience that he would never forget. It was fresh in his mind until the day he died. It was fresh like it happened yesterday. He never cracked a smile when he told the story because it was true and there was nothing funny about it. He got pale and you could see it in his eyes. He was scared to death. She went on to say, I think God doesn't mean for us to understand everything. He doesn't want us to know everything. Man might want to know everything. I think there's some things out there that he just doesn't want us to figure out and know what they are. Hmm. So there you go. Theories. We have two major theories, as usual. Bigfoot. Major theory number. No- major <laughs> theory. No- we'll add that in there. Major <laughs> theory number one. It didn't really happen like people say it happened. Okay. And sub theory for this is what is what most people think is the most likely explanation. They and wanted I just, money. I just totally don't buy it. They wanted money. Meteor shower. No. Think something with big eyes. Think perched in the tree. Perched owl. An owl. In 2005, as part of the 50th anniversary of the encounter, the Committee for the Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal, or PSYCOP, looked into the case and determined that the most likely explanation for the goblins was a pair of great horned owls. The owls have a striking similarity to the aliens. They're about three feet tall, round head, round eyes, and pointed tufts on either side of their head, and would have been feeding a set of young owlets in August, causing them to defend their nest. What are they called? Great horned owls. Great horned owls. I think I've seen pictures of these things, and they're like kind of freaky looking. It's believed that the metallic sounds were sounds of some of their bullets ricocheting off metal objects nearby, like fences or barrels. Great horned owls are nocturnal, oh. fly silently, have yellow eyes, and aggressively defend their nests. And then there was a meteor shower that night that could explain Billy Ray Taylor's claim that he saw a bright light streak across the sky. Okay, I take that back. It's just a normal looking owl. And uh, uh, owls aren't known for doing backflips when you shoot them with a yeah. shotgun and then and running off. Walk around with their, their wings in the air like they just don't care. <laughs> you know, like if, if they have talons, I'll give them that. They do have talons. <laughs> if even if the estimates were wrong, if they're three feet. The wingspan for an owl yeah. that size has to be enormous. Right. Yeah. So if their wings spread out at all, you would notice. Yeah. Oh, it's an owl. It's an owl. The one, the one, man. The one account, the one account of the one on the roof that they shot, and then they said it floated off to a nearby fence post. That sounds oh, like an owl. Sure. But that's but, like that's like people claiming that people are misidentifying sandhill cranes as Mothman. It's like and, no. And people are like, they've this this family has seen owls. They know owls. Right. Owls aren't known for glowing in the dark, and they're not no. known for backflipping when you shoot them with wearing a shotgun metal and then armor. running off. <laughs> no. Wearing metal armor. But that is one of the most common beliefs is that it was just great horned owls. Poo-poo. 
Theory number two for it not being real is that it was, quote, drunken shenanigans. But didn't the someone in law enforcement, when they got there, yeah, said but then there's other no people, evidence? Other, other people said that they were drunk. Other people said they were, weren't drunk. Who are other people, though? People who were there? I don't, just like articles I read. Because uh, I just feel like the law enforcement person who was actually there said there didn't appear to be evidence of drinking. Yeah, if they were able to find some aluminum cans or whatever they were at the time, um, you know, they didn't find a still. No, that article like I that. just read from, from Glennie's granddaughter, in the article she said, quote, when they when asked about if it was just drunk, you know, they were just drunk, Glennie's granddaughter said, quote, we all just laugh at that because Glennie didn't allow alcohol or even cursing on her property. They were a very quiet, very trustworthy family. See, I believe that. Yeah, and by all accounts, Glennie was like a cool person, like a like she didn't she didn't allow drinking, so they're not all drunk off shine. She's yeah. the matriarch of yeah, the family. She's the matriarch of the family. So drunken shenanigans, I'm saying no. Yeah. Owls I agree. owls, I'm saying yeah, no. Yeah, I agree. I'm poo-pooing theory number one. Theory number three underneath there is foxfire, which is a bioluminescent fungus on decaying wood. And that could account for the glow they saw on the ground. But, but what about the rest? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but that constantly... Did they eat it and they, Well, they said that a lot, of the, a lot of this was a combination, that it was owls and they just happened to be standing in a patch of foxfire oh, that made them Lord. glow. Jesus. So, no. That's a lot of... Uh-uh. And number four... Aye, 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 you really four. buy this one, huh? Uh, in 1957, U.S. Air Force Major John E. Albert concluded that the Kelly Hopkinsville case was a result of witnesses seeing a, quote, monkey painted with silver that had escaped from a circus. And they're thinking now, some people think that the Carnies... Okay, I could buy the that, The Carnies took but... him home from the, from the... That he, you know, that they worked at the carnival where they had, like, painted... Where they had monkeys and that they brought okay. the monkeys back to the farm with them and that the family was freaking out because of them. And they didn't say anything because they didn't want to get in trouble for bringing the monkeys home from the mm. carnival. So, but again, monkeys... I can understand If you hit a monkey with a shotgun, it's probably going to die. It's not going to backflip <laughs> and then run off into the tall grass. It could probably do backflips. I it mean, probably I could, can, but now when you I hit them with a shotgun... I could buy the misidentification piece, but it just seems way too far-fetched for that to have yeah. happened. Yeah. And the last one I have underneath here, the cat. Arthur Haas Kanzler, a sheriff from a nearby town, joined other policemen at the Sutton Farmhouse that night for the investigation. In his telling, everyone was drunk... And some people were tossing a cat onto the screen door to scare the people inside. He said, quote, when I saw the Sutton's daughter reach up and pull the cat off the screen and heard the cat scream, I knew then that was the Martian. He told oh, the Kentucky boy. New Era on July 12, 2003. Do you ever see Narnia do any backflips? No, I never have. I'm not going to hit her with a shotgun. Does she walk around like No, this? she does not walk around with her paws <laughs> in the air. It'd be super cute if she did walk around with her paws in the air. But isn't there a scene from E.T. where he's like running around yeah. with his hands up in the air? <laughs> yeah. That's so that funny. might have been partly from it this. Could be. But those those are the explanations. You have the owls, you have drunken shenanigans, you have foxfire, you have painted monkeys, and you have the cat. There is a funny story that I so read. So the cat's not the explanation. They're just saying they were up to shenanigans. Well, they said that the cat was what they were seeing as the aliens. Okay, okay. Uh, no. But there was a funny story that I read in one of them that when the police first got there, you have all these police, like literally dozens of police, and they go into the kitchen or they walk into the house, and one of them accidentally stepped on the cat's tail, so it screamed, and they said everybody's guns came out. Everybody was like aiming around because they were all so freaked out about oh, poor walking. Cat. <laughs> this cat's know. been through a lot. Well, the dog went under the, the house and stayed under there the entire night after it first saw the glowing mm. thing come walking out of the field. So those are the, 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 the theories for it never really happened. I don't buy any of it. And the other big theory, obviously, it happened like they said it happened. Uh, 
UFologist Alan Hendry wrote, quote, this case has to be distinguished by its duration and also by the number of witnesses involved. And I, got, I buy that. There were 11 people there that saw it. The kids were there. You know, like if, if, if they were just like shooting drunkenly at owls, some the kids, the kids weren't drinking, you know, right. maybe, uh, they were 12, 10 and seven. So maybe, <laughs> maybe they were, maybe they were, you never know. <laughs> I just think these are people who didn't have much and what they did have, they probably valued. Why would they rain bullets all over their, their home? Yeah. You know what I mean? With yeah. kids around. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's a lot of really good podcasts about, about uh, the Astonishing Legends one was good, but there's a lot of good podcasts that, but then again, there's a lot of discrepancy. Uh, I have written here, despite what people in charge of the little, there's actually a festival down there called the Little Green Men Festival, which looks really cool. Despite what people in charge of the Little Green Men Festival say, many in Hopkinsville didn't believe the story when it was first told. The details changed depending on what person was recounting them and newspaper stories at the time were inconsistent. Skeptics cling to these discrepancies, claiming they prove the families was all just imagining things, that this was all in their imagination. Uh, so, you know, all we have for it really did happen is the, basically the family scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, they saw something. There, there's, there's no doubt. But I want to end with this. Oh, but I did, in 2010, the town began hosting the Little Green Men Festival, a four-day event filled with ufologists, hayrides, and crafts. There's even live music, and it looks really cool. It's kind of like our Sputnik fest. Like I would love to go down there That's for the little green, of when he said that. but it's this little town in Kentucky and they have this little green men festival where tons of people come. But I want to end this with this really good, good quote from Carol Ann Barnett, who in 1998 wrote in quote, the Kelly Hopkinsville incident, a historical review. She says, based on my experience of the region, I would testify to the fact that no one in that area would consider making up anything remotely like what the Suttons and Taylors said that they saw. The residents of southwestern Kentucky are people who even now are largely religious, and I mean no disparagement on this, but they're conformists. To make up a story like this one, one would run the risk of being branded as insane or a liar with a pox on their entire family to boot. The ridicule, the contempt, the ostracism, the media circus, no one would risk it. It just won't happen unless it really did happen. And like you said, That's I don't have I it in here, it. but people are, are quoted as saying, this this isn't the kind of group of people that are going to go running to the police. They they solve things <laughs> the backwoods Kentucky way sure. by just blowing it away with a gun. They're not going to be ones to go running, scrambling in two cars to the police station to get the police to come out there. Right. You know, and that's what you said at the start of this yeah. episode is that's not the kind of people that would go running to the police. Well, they're probably proud people. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And this, this would they, bring they ridicule. Said that they said later in life, this basically ruined them. Yeah. I mean, they were the UFO people. They were the kooks. Mm-hmm. You know, so the crackpots. what do you think? What do you think, Corey? Well, what, I just looked up to see when Roswell was because I didn't remember. And it's 1947. Yeah, but remember, these guys are, they have no was, books. They have no radio. They're super, I'm, I'm not even 100% what I was, sure they can read. They're that's what right. I was going to compare it to is that, so that Roswell was 47 and this was 55. Yes. So. Significant. That's a long time. That's a long actually. time for a, a period in history that I don't know how fast word spread. You know, if they didn't have a TV or radio, I don't even know when War of the Worlds was broadcast. Um, but it doesn't seem like it would be something that they would make up. Obviously, being a skeptic, I think I don't agree with the alien aspect. Um, I don't like the fact that every alien is always humanoid form mm. in some degree. Like, So when it comes to any kind of alien that's 
in human form or humanoid form. I just think it's what we're accustomed to. It's the only thing we can come up with. Yeah. So like when something happens, like the, I can't think of the name of it now, the video of the little feet that walk like this. Oh, well, the, 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 what, the nightcrawler? The nightcrawler, yeah, the Fresno that nightcrawler. makes sense to me because, okay, that I can see as being something completely different where there's yeah. not, it's not humanoid form yeah. and it's creepy. Yeah. Um, so I, I think they saw something as to, it's definitely not owls. It's not the cat. <laughs> you know, it's not a painted you monkey. Think if it was the owls, the kids would have been like, oh, Dad, cool, why are you shooting? Why are you guys freaked out shooting at yeah. owls? But having, but then somebody said maybe the backflip was the owls dying, like getting hit with a shotgun, and that maybe the family imagined they saw them run. But there's so many I would accounts think you of back found a body of an owl. Exactly, there'd be like a like yeah, there. blood everywhere, yeah. feathers. Like when the, owls when the police went out there, you would think they would found blood. They would have found feathers. They found nothing. Right. Like, I like, forgot to put. The, I forgot to say this part in there. It just popped in my head. When they were all driving out to the farm, you know, the police and everybody, one state trooper that joined them at the farm said that when he was a few miles away from Hopkinsville, he saw something that looked like several meteor flashes over his car moving with, quote, artillery sounds. And looking up, he could see two of them traveling on a slightly descending arc towards the Sutton farm. Hmm. So that's interesting that a cop said that he heard, he saw the lights, but it was the night of a meteor shower. So... You know, did he see meteors? But I don't get what the artillery sounds yeah, are. Yeah, that's odd. Yeah. You know, like having two kids. I, two kids. I know. Oh, yeah. Like me. Yeah. Yeah. Having two kids. I know that they feed off kind of your energy. Mm. That's another thing, mm-hmm. is that? So, like the kids yeah. part, I discount just for the fact that if the parents were all amped up, the and kids become stuff. amped yeah, up. Yeah, because they, they buy into what the parents are yeah. seeing. They sure. can be frightened not knowing exactly what's happening. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's so true. So, I think something happened. Do I think it was aliens? No. Um, but as to what it is, so long ago, I'd have no idea. You know, the meteor shower, sure. Maybe they ended up getting pelted with some stuff. But as to the back-flipping three-foot aliens, <laughs> looking things. I have no idea what that would be. But I, I think they saw something. But as to what it would be, there's no way I'd, I would even harbor a guess. You don't think you're not buying an alien thing no, on this? I don't, I don't, what about Billy Ray seeing that silver craft with the, like the exhaust, all the colors of the rainbow? You know, but then they said there was a meteor show, yeah, so maybe he was misidentifying the meteor. atmosphere, there is like a streak True. that, yeah. you yeah. know. So maybe, you know, one of the theories is that he set this off panicking, seeing a meteor, and he went in and somehow infected everybody else with this fear that there's aliens there. But it just doesn't seem like, was they it, don't seem like the kind of people, like Lucky and JC, like don't seem like the kind of people that are going to. What mm-hmm. time of day was it? Night. It was like 11 o'clock. It was 7 p.m. Sun was just PM. starting to go down. Yeah. I suppose you could see something not knowing what it is or believing you're seeing something, but it's like the windows seem like so specific. Yeah. Like you're able to see something. Well, you're seeing a creature looking in you through the window. Yeah. You know, they see something reach down and touch his hair from the the porch roof. Yeah. I mean, that could just be wind or a branch and you think it's the first thing you go to is, oh, they're going to touch me. And I think that's something in science too, where I don't know if it's, is it the sun one of them feels something and it ends up being like a branch in his hair. Yeah. So I could see that. This this was influ- this did influence the movie signs. It definitely did. So yeah, I, me, it's something happened, whether it's mass hysteria or everybody getting amped up because one guy says he sees something. That would be my guess, but that's me, the skeptic that... Yeah, Corey's not buying the aliens. No. Krista. You know what's interesting that I keep coming back to is they didn't have books, TV, radio, etc. And so 
if they were making it up, it would make sense that their depiction of what an alien looks like doesn't match the what other alien descriptions like? that were going like the grays or whatever. Up? Why would they? Yeah, make- I don't know. I don't know. I just think that's interesting that their depiction is something I've never seen before. Yeah, it doesn't match like the you know the various pictures of no like the grays like the small grays but some of it does with like the the arms the spindly arms like are very gray like the almond eyes are very gray like you -hmm. know and maybe they were seeing what uh, grays and didn't know how to describe it other than what they described with their gremlin throw me a little (laughs) yeah and you you hate to throw shade at a family for charging money but yeah, maybe but they that had, was they, that's maybe that was not they their were original carnies. thought. It's what they knew. But but they had no other choice because they were trying to figure out how to get. They went to the police first to get the crowd off their property, and the police didn't do anything. So they figured that was the only way was to make people pay. But maybe they knew that was going to be the result of. What I'm, was I'm obvious. I obviously think this was something. some kind of alien. I I I, I think they I saw do. something for sure. Yeah, and I'm I'm taking the believer one on this one. I think this was aliens. I think I it was some kind believing. of creature. I think I it was some believing. kind of creature, and I, I, her granddaughter holds a lot of weight with me saying that he would not make this up and this he never smiled telling this story and and I don't know. I, I 100%, I usually, I've been taking the skeptical side a lot on stuff, mm-hmm. but I think this was some kind of alien encounter, some kind of creature. I don't know where it came from, but is obvious. it's weird to me that the creatures weren't around when all the police came out, but then once the police left, the creatures came back out and started looking in the windows again, which is a little weird. Yeah, to but, me it's still so weird that they were able to get that kind of response in the middle of, you know, nowhere. And that's Kentucky. the thing. This back in these days, you know, like one story could have went out that somebody, and they even said this in one of the podcasts that somebody else embellished on it, and then another newspaper picked that up and embellished mm-hmm. on it, and it became like a game of telephone. Where by the end, it wasn't even actually close to what happened. Yeah. You know, there's there's one skeptical paper I read that said they the police went out there and they found like one bullet. And like none of the windows were shot out, hmm. but you don't know. I mean, you don't like if, if I think that's this what is I one struggle of these, with. This is one of these that if I could go back and somebody asked this, if I could go back in time and witness something, this is one of them. I want to see. I want to know what happened what at this farmhouse happened. that night because there's so many discrepancies, and that's part there of are. I struggle like, with I a little bit. I would love to go back in time to this night to this farm and see what happened. That's I want to say I believe something happened on that farm. I just don't know how much of it. That's why it's difficult when something happened, you know, 50, 60 years ago. Yeah. Right. You have yep. no way of going back. And, you know, police procedure, they could have taken photos of the windows being shot out or yeah, something like this. Now it couldn't happen. Everybody, they'd have the ring doorbell camera. They'd <laughs> yeah. have, you know. Yeah. It's... Even if they had no TV or radio, they'd all have smartphones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. Exactly. So a, I, I'm taking the believer mm-hmm. one. I think something. Have a blurry photo of a UFO. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. I think something Shaky legitimate video. happened. Some kind of creature showed up this night to this farm. I just. I definitely think something happened for yep. sure. They didn't. And Corey shaking his head. Corey it says no. So there you go. That is the Kelly Hopkinsville incident. Hey, speaking of letters, I was thinking about this during Corey's story. Have you looked any more at those letters from that guy? No, I haven't. I need to like look at those. We should I'll almost bring revisit here. that. I'll bring them here. Yeah. Because they're... It'd be uh, fun to post them yes, up in Yes, because here. they're sitting on my counter at home. So I'll yeah. bring them. Corey knows how my filing system I mean, is. I mean, I... Bring yes. them here before they get lost. I'd look at out. them, but I don't think I'll be able to make heads or no, tails but of I will anything bring in them. them. Here's Kurt's filing system. This is Kurt's kitchen table. <laughs> now imagine you have piles. Imagine you have eight months worth of every letter you've ever gotten in the mail. <laughs> oh no! In, not in specific 
but like a pile that just kind of everything kind of falls off to the side. <laughs> and he just keeps putting it on top, and yep. it keeps it is sliding. Painfully down. accurate. That I know. Painfully and then accurate. he'll be like, "Where is that thing?" And then you walk in. There's a stack in the middle like this, and then it narrows and tapers as it gets closer. That's wow. Kurt's filing system. Yeah. Okay, I gotta get better at that. So those are our stories. Hopefully they were okay. I think these were both yeah. good stories. These They're were both scratchers. super interesting stories. Yeah. Um, song choice. Krista, do you want to wait? Uh, Corey, if you want to do a, your song choice, I am going to look for a listener question. All right. Obviously, my favorite or current genre of music is is more, you know, metal, hard rock, stuff like that. So that's usually what I'm going to go with. Uh, this is a band that's been out for a little bit. They're kind of getting a little bit more popular now. Um, the band's name is Future Palace. Uh, they're from Germany. But they don't sing in, you know, obviously German. It's it's English, but you can sense the German accent. And the song is called "Defeating Gravity." It's uh, basically clean clean singing, and there's like two choruses in there where she kind of screams a little bit. Yeah, you were playing this for me on the way here, and it's actually really kind of good. Yeah, and she's she's cute. Yeah, it's a female lead singer, and then like a guitarist, drummer, and bassist, and I don't know. It's just kind of what I'm into right now and they are just coming out with an album I think in a couple months or a couple weeks or it may even be out by now um, but they have some older videos and it's it runs a gamut from you know I, I'd say it's kind of Linkin Parkish if Lincoln if Chester was a female yeah. fronted band or yeah, whatever I could totally see that um, but that's yeah Future Palace and the song is Defeating Gravity cool. check it out cool cool I'm going with a female singer too. And this is, I've talked about this artist before and I actually, I do that. There's an app called um, Amazon Shopper Panel. I've talked about that, I think with you before. Mm -hmm. I got it when it first came out. Now there's a waiting list, but basically they send you a survey every now and then that's like 25 cents or like three questions. But if you take a picture of 10 receipts a month, at the end of the month, you get a $10 Amazon credit. So I have like a ton of Amazon credit and that's where I buy my music. And I literally just bought this guy's album because I really, really like this. And this, I've mentioned it on here before. Like this isn't my usual genre. And this is basically trance. This is like house, electronic house music. Mm -hmm. And it's Dash Berlin. I did another song by him. The name sounds right. Uh, I did a song by him called Never Cry Again because I love the the girl that sings, but it's it's very hip-hop, rave, like, you know, like Swedish House Mafia stuff, like Dancy. And then I never listened to a bunch of his other stuff, but like one of his most popular songs, I believe it's from 2009 or 2010. It's a song called Waiting, and the singer in it is a girl named Emma Hewitt. And she has like literally one of the most beautiful singing voices that I think that I've ever heard. Like, I just love her voice. And I listened to that and I'm like, I got to get this guy's CD. So I bought a CD and I just love it. I listen to it when I'm driving around, like when I come down here. It's just such a good CD. It's, it's dancey, electronic music, but it's so good. It's good for driving. And it's, da- it's Dash Berlin with Emma Hewitt and the song is called Waiting. And cool. it's so good. I'll post the video. And of course, I got a big crush on her. If a girl can <laughs> sing, oh, yeah. Crush. I don't have a song, but I was going to just mention that I finally finished the current season of Stranger Things. Did you like it? I loved oh, it. No spoilers. I didn't watch it yet. I loved it. I'm right now going through Person of I Interest because I, I I saw the first se- season of the show 
a couple of years ago. Aaron burned it for me on DVD and I only saw the first season, but I love it. And I've I'm been super interested. You know what the premise of the show is, right? I think so. Like Ben Ben Linus from Lost plays yep. like a computer guy that built a computer that after 9-11 it would it it it's like basically spits eavesdropping on everything. It's like so it's like that yeah, spits it spits out, out every, yeah, like it's yeah. basically the entire which is like this was done in like two thousand ten. Who's the guy in it? Crevasal? Jim Jim Crevasal? Jim Crevasal, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. But I, basically, I think I watched like the first season. It's funny because watching the show now, knowing that it's like 12 years old, like they forecast so much of mm. eavesdropping of how much society knows what we're doing at any given time. Mm. So because I love, and, and you know, basically he designed the post 9-11 computer system that would detect a terrorism attack before it happens. Okay. But it's also detecting individual murders. So that that's what they're doing is like going that's and preventing the all these the murders. Okay. But because I've been watching that, I've gotten really into surveillance, like our surveillance. Like, and I just, mm. I checked out two books from the library and I was reading last night and it just floored me. And I knew nothing about this, that there are TV commercials and, and radio commercials in cars, or if you're in a store, like the music overhead will send out pulses that you don't hear, but your phone microphone knows so like your phone knows if you're watching this certain commercial. That's how they because get it's sending like a, a ultrasonic signal that goes to your phone, and that's how they know. Like it amazes me how that's much creepy. I'm not a super big privacy guy, like yeah. you know. But it amazes me. I have nothing to it, hide, but it's creepy. No, but it freaks me out. And one of the chapters in the book I'm reading, one of the very first chapters, details just like a like an average day you would have, and how everything you do is monitored. And mm. it just freaks me out how bad it is that everything we do, like cars nowadays, if your like phone connect, okay if your if phone connects to your if your phone connects to your car, it knows everything. It knows your texts. It knows, mm -hmm. you know, like all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's just it's been really like something that I've been kind of obsessed over late lately. And there's we like did an episode kind of about we that, did an didn't episode we? about electronic surveillance, yeah. but even then I didn't know half this crap that I know now about how mm. they know what we do at any given time. Is that like when you you're just at home and you're talking about yes. say Canon, like you, it doesn't know if you're talking about a camera yeah. it doesn't know if you're talking, talking about, about actual weapon. physical like yeah. civil war cannons yeah and then all of a sudden you're getting you start getting ads on your phone for mm -hmm. canon well yeah because we talked about that, that there were people that specifically wanted to see where these two guys took their phone to like a bar or something like that and they said they put the phone between them and they sat there at the bar talking about how they wanted to go back to college and they wanted to go camping and the next day they had like tents showing up as targeted ads and like yeah, colleges. It is. It's, I it's, can understand if you Google something, you get those but ads, but it shouldn't be listed. This book to you. went into a lot about how basically what started all this is Google. Google's wow. the one that started all yeah. of this, you know? And yeah, it's just weird. And it's creepy to think about how much we are monitored, monitored throughout the day. Hmm. But yeah, that was a little aside I didn't plan on going on. But anyway, <laughs> so that's a good question. Do we have any questions? Oh, the question Speaking is... Speaking of questions. Dang. The question is, for Corey too, for the three of us, what is a food that you would love to try? Ooh, this is a nice lead-in to our this side is a nice. I'm excited about our our food side sessions like to today. Try. try. What is a food you would love to try? Like, I'll go first. The I one that had? I want to try is an In-N-Out burger because I've oh. never had any... West Coast stuff like there's Fat Burger. I don't know if Fat Burger is a, a West Coast thing, but I really want to try an In-N-Out Burger. This is hard. 
All right, I'll go. I got two. One, just because you mentioned like a, a restaurant, I've always wanted to try like a lobster roll, like an official lobster yeah. roll. Yeah, real yes. lobster From like Boston. From like Maine. Or from Maine. Like Maine. Yeah. yeah. Somewhere on there. I've never even had like a, a lobster roll from here. Like I have yeah. no idea what it even is. And then the, the thing that I first came to mind was I've always wanted to make it and I've never had it. And that's beef Wellington. It's basically yeah, it's a, like in a puff a, pastry. Yeah, it's like yeah. A, it's like a steak mm-hmm. within a puff pastry surrounded by mushrooms. Yeah, and my friends Mel and Dale mustard, made those like homemade ones one day at yeah. their place, and they were freaking good. Yeah, I want to make one at home. I just I keep telling Nicole, my wife, that I I want to make one, and it just seems daunting to me. It is because it's a lot of work. Yeah, so yeah. it's like uh, the puff pastry. If, obviously, the kids probably won't like it. She might uh, not Uncle like Kurt, it. Uncle Kurt will so like yeah, it. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe I'll make it for Uncle you. Uncle Kurt over. I'll make it for you one night and you can yeah. come over and then that way at least it'll be eaten. Yeah, make it for <laughs> just you and I. That way if it sucks. Yeah, so I, I've always wanted to make it and I've always been nervous. Same thing with like smoking a, like a brisket. Yeah. Because they're expensive. Yeah. You know, you, you get the whole thing, you don't want to botch it. And if you just get like the loin part, that alone is like 30 or $40. And if you smoke it and it doesn't turn out right, it's basically a huge waste. Yeah. So, but those are the two things that the first came. I'm with mind you with lobster roll because I think, mm-hmm. even though I think lobsters overrated, I don't. Yeah, I'm not. I could. I could. Like I, it. I love. I realize that I love eating lobster, but it's just because I love butter, and all I'm really <laughs> eating is just butter. Like well, I, lobster rolls got mayo and stuff, though, right? Yeah. So it's kind of like a and crab it's in croissant like a hoagie. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, you can you can make it easy by fudging all the ingredients. Like you get like that imitation crab. And you can sure. make it with that, but it's not the same it's as having an, yeah, an official like no. Maine part of the of experience Boston. is probably being, you know, in Maine or something. Yeah. Yes. I think mine would be and I don't know, I can't really think of anything, but I love pizza. And I always think that those like authentic big slices of pizza in New York that you fold <laughs> yeah, look so good. Yeah, like and I'm normally a crispy crust kind of person, but th- that type of pizza just always makes and my mouth is watering. I would love, and I've been to New York, but I didn't have pizza while I was there. I mean, just but from like a street cart, just getting like a, a New York style pizza from yeah. a street cart. Yeah. I, just mm-hmm. that great big slice of pizza. Remember Sabaros? Yeah. Yeah. Like that style pizza, but better tasting than Sabaros. That's you, you know, being basically stuck around here. You're not going to get that kind of pizza taste. Mm-hmm. You know, we do have two pizza restaurants here, though um, Il Retrovo. Which, uh, and yeah, that's connected to Field of Fork. Yep. And um, the one that the other one is like famous for being a great pizza. Yeah. What the heck is it called? Prohibition Bistro. I've been to both oh. many times and they're both wood oven. Yeah. And that is truly a, like it's that style pizza. Il Retrova, they send their chefs to Italy to learn how to make this pizza. Damn. So if you want that kind of like wood fired, authentic pizza, go there. It's amazing. But see, that's the thing is that I love pizza. Anybody that knows me knows I love pizza. But I, you give me a $15 slice of pizza from like that prohibition place. I'll love it just as much as I love a slice of a frozen Tony's pizza. I even pizza. like frozen pizza. I we're love gonna get, pizza We're going to get into much. frozen pizza, I think a little bit in our side oh. sessions. We're excited about our side sessions. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. about food. Cool. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've really want to try an in and out burger. Hmm. I, I just, I love fast food. We all know that. Like I yeah. want to try different fast foods. Should I do a pickle joke? Do a pickle joke. I don't think I did this one. What is long, green, noisy, and very dangerous? What? A backflipping three foot alien? <laughs> <laughs> I like that answer. Aliens so weren't dangerous. Better. They were just, they kept coming to the house. Just like, super they, just to come, they, just, <laughs> they just wanted to come in and hang. They wanted to party. Uh, a thundering herd of pickles. Oh. Wow, that's horrible. 
They're all horrible. We're getting to the end of the book, though. So Corey, none of us have. Here. I was the only one that got to the scorpion. I was the only one. Yeah, that, I stopped I'm there. A while ago. I'm there. I just. It's just so It's much so sugar. hard to you know try to talk and have that yeah. in your mouth at the same time. That no, I touched its little foot with one of them and with my tongue, and that's I'm done. I was I'm hoping not, I was going to get to the foot and I could crunch in uh, some microphone uh, for everybody, but it's just no. too hard to. Corey's going to keep working on his. Oh, yeah. We're going to give you a feedback on our next episode. Yeah, I'm just I can't. Yeah, I can't. we should probably ring it in. We're at two hours and fifteen minutes now. So. That's all right. If it's a little longer, then I can just drop the audio quality down just a little just bit. A it'll just be enough for us to be able to get on YouTube and all that good stuff. Sweet. But this was a good episode. Yeah. I always gotta ask you guys if it was a good He's episode. He's declaring it good. But I feel oh, like I don't have to ask enough. you guys. I feel like this was a solid episode. So it, yeah, definitely. Might be the first time where I actually kind of don't care how I sound. <laughs> no, because you know, you're finally I'm always a little bit more. Which is you opposite of me because you know me. I'm, I don't get anxious or care what anybody no, really thinks. But you do. You get nervous. But I do when here. I'm like doing this because, yeah. like I said, I feel like it's your podcast. I don't want to bring it down by not being if Krista prepared. I, if or Krista and I haven't brought it down ourselves, yeah, you're not going to you're yeah. gonna bring it down. You're safe, buddy. Good point. <laughs> it's weird though. Like I, I, you, we talked about how I had quite a few beers the first times we did this yeah. because I was so nervous and I'm not nervous anymore but sometimes when we're doing this it pops in my head how many people around the world are listening to it mm-hmm. and I get a little like my heart races I a little bit I just try not to think about that I just, I just try not to think <laughs> about it so I <laughs> thanks think, Kurt at least we're almost sorry. done <laughs> I think that's really all we got today Corey once again thank you for joining yeah. us with an amazing story you're welcome you is know. this his first side session yeah, this is going to be. This yeah. is the first Ooh, time we have anybody else exciting. on the side session. Wow, the side session I feel like might be a little longer. That's okay. I also have a, a list that I found of two hundred food items that have been discontinued. So at the end of the bit, I might pick like ten of them at random to say, "Do you guys remember this? Do you guys remember this?" That's well, little, especially with all of us being fairly the same age. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a little you teaser know. for what our side sessions is going to be about. So I think for our strange sessions, don't forget the deets. Oh, Deets. I always forget. I'm going to need to Krista look at Krista does notes. a great job on Instagram. <laughs> Krista does a great job on Instagram at the Strange Sessions. Thank you. You can email us. Oh, crap. We got a voicemail I forgot to download. <gasps> oh. oh, sorry. I will sorry, download the voicemail. voicemail I knew I was forgetting to do something yesterday. Is I will it somebody download... we know? It's our one of our listeners that, that I and recognize And we even the name. said like... Yes. We even pleaded for a yes, voicemail. and that's why she called because oh, I pleaded. Worst. And of course, I forget to download it. So you I will have download a little it. less in your check this week. Yeah, they'll less. I I will get less in my paycheck from our producers. <laughs> um, I'll download that for the next episode. Uh, you can email us at the strange sessions at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at strange session without the final S where we don't even look at that anymore. Krista does a great job on Twitter. Krista does a great job on the Instagrams with the strange sessions. Uh, you can send us postcards and snail mail to the strange sessions. PO box four, three, four Manitowoc, Wisconsin, five, four, two, two, one dash zero, four, three, four. Grayson was there. I think with me one of the days that I got, so you need to do a TikTok strain session so she can watch. Yeah, we need, a, we need a TikTok or I've heard session. from others that TikTok is how, it, like, you can get millions of followers. I'll bust out some dance moves. And You're in charge of TikTok, though. I you don't, don't want do me doing any more social media because I barely do anything on Instagram. Don't well, <laughs> forget to find Kurt at the Strain Sessions on Tinder. You can find me on the Strain Sessions at Tinder. It's only fans. Uh, <laughs> My only fans. Where I, stranger. I do, I do where he puts clothes on. Kurt the Stranger. Yeah. He, can, he puts on some flannel and yeah. then he puts on another piece of flannel. Just my lucky podcasting underwear and a hat, <laughs> and a hat. <laughs> lucky so you can call our our lonely little phone line and i'll maybe remember to download your message at 920-443-9602
And I think that is it for the strange sessions. Mm -hmm. So I think from the strange seller, Corey, thank you again for joining us. We will have you back again soon. Awesome as always. He was an expert on the circle of the letters on Mel's hole and that, that diver and that creepy (laughs) way too tight of a diving cave to go into. So I think from Krista, Corey, and myself in the strange cellar, until next time, stay strange. strange.